Good evening and welcome to El Los Fumar Takes. This is our 228th take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azel, Texas. I'm your host, Barry Duplissi, as always, and I'm so proud, so pleased, and so privileged to be with you all tonight. This is going to be a fantastic show. It's my birthday episode. We do this every year, and we've got a return guest tonight who is so excited to be here, and another return guest who's even more excited to be here. I'll let you guys decide who's who in just a moment. But before we get to introductions, we do have to thank the people that make this show possible. And that, of course, is our sponsors. And tonight's show is sponsored by Drew Estate. Drew Estate's Liga Provada Unico Serie UF4 returns exclusively for Casa de Monte Cristo, Chicago. Since 2010, Casa, Casa de Monte Cristo in Countryside, Illinois, has been the exclusive home for Drew Estate's annual limited edition Liga Provada Liga Pravada Unico Serie UF4, the 6x52 Toro. As in previous years, the 2022 UF4 will debut during Casa de Monte Cristo's annual Halloween costume party, which will the store will actually host on uh, which the store actually hosted earlier this week. So if you guys are interested in the Chicago area, get the exclusive Liga Pravada Unico. Unico Serie UF4 from the Casa de Monte Cristo, Chicago today and smoke some more Drew Estate. So for everyone out there, go out there to. Can you guys hear me? I think my volume just cut. Did you, can you guys hear me? Okay. Yeah. Can hear me now. You, <laughs> cut, you cut out for a moment there, but you were yep. going good. Yep. Well, um, for everyone out there, definitely go out there and smoke more Drew Estate. And if you're in the Chicago area, check out Casa de Monte Cristo. Uh, in Countryside, you can get the Liga Privada Unico Serie UF4. And welcome, everyone. This is our this is our 228th take. We are going to have volume tonight, and we're going to be talking a lot. Uh, some more than others, I imagine. Uh, that's why I've stored up on coffee. I'm looking forward to this fantastic birthday bash that I've set up for myself and for you all to enjoy. And I'm pleased to welcome my panel of guests uh, tonight, Mr. Steve Saka and Will Cooper. Gentlemen, how are we doing tonight? I'm great. How are you, Bear? How old I'm, are you, by the way? I'm 39, sir. 39. 39. Just a puppy. I know. 39. Still, still wetting the bed, no doubt. Probably. Yes. <laughs> probably. So my wife probably changes the sheets often. I just I'm just not aware of it. So but uh, I mean, and it, and 39, such an in, Ill, irrelevant age, uh, I know, because and celebrating it just is, is, is probably just appalling just to be on here, Steve. But because it's me and because you like me so much, you've you've stomached a second year in a row now uh, to appear on this show. And I, I'm, I'm so grateful. It's because I get to drink my way through it. <laughs> hey, Bear. I'll take I'll take you however I can get you, Steve. Always. Um, but <laughs> another guest tonight. Uh, the uh, uh, gentleman who uh, is who's uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about his involvement in this uh, this show and how it's developed over the last few years um, here in a couple of weeks. But uh, uh, will it? who I've never called Will Coop. It's great to have you back on the show. Um, doing a Jay Davis impersonation. Is, is that your Halloween costume this year? Uh, it's my uh, Phillies uh, no shave is what it is. <laughs> so so for folks who don't know, um, I had oral surgery a month ago and it was hard for me to shave. So a growth started on my face. And then, oh, you got to go tea. I can see that now. Okay. Yeah, the background yeah, it, it, little, it, it, I thought it was just the stash. Okay. It's always been there. Yeah. Okay. But what happened is when uh, at the same time, the Phillies then started going on their run. So being the karma guy I am, I didn't mess with it at that point. The responsible fan that you are. Right. Being the responsible fan. Um, and I, I said I would hold this 
Oh, uh, it will that be. wasn't the day you decided not to wash your balls or something. Good God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the one, one I wasn't going to change my shirt, and I like, that's uh, that's a bad idea. So I just said so. <laughs> so I'm like, so, uh, so Bear, you know, 1983, it was, that, Phillies lost the World Series that year. Yeah, I'm uh, sorry about that. Seeing, yeah, we, we were in the World Series that year. Um, and to give you a context, I was starting, I think in a few weeks, I got my learner's permit to start driving at that point when you were born. So it was like six <laughs> weeks later, I got my learner's permit. Well, then you're welcome. See, I gave you, I gave you misery and victory. Yeah. You know, but next year's a bit, next year's a big one for you. 40's a, 40's a good one. 50's yeah. a tougher one is what I'll just tell you. I mean, what do you like? I mean, I mean, I, I mean, there's things that hurt, you know, when I, that, that didn't, that I didn't used to hurt when I was no, younger. Psychological so. bears. Yeah. Yeah. At 40, you have a pretty good shot of being halfway through your life. Right. 50, you're on the downhill side. Yeah, it's exactly. definitely closer oh, to death yeah. at 50 than you are at 40. Mentally, 40, like, okay, I could do another 40. When you're at 50, you're like, okay, I'm not doing another 50. Yeah. I already know I'm on the slide here. <laughs> and, and it's 55 for me this year, which, uh, and now I'm halfway to 60 in the decade, which is really scaring the crap out of me. Yeah, but you make it look good, Coop. So it's okay. It's been tight. It's, it's, fifty was tough. I ain't gonna lie to you. Fifty was tough for me for sure, physically. Um, so you just can't do the things like when you were forty. It's just that's you just have to learn that. Well, I mean, it it was it was kind of ominous too. Like when you, I remember your fiftieth birthday because like you had this, you had this plan. You were gonna smoke the fiftieth anniversary Padron and yep, you know, have a great you know thing, and then and then um, you know, unfortunately, uh. Um, Jorge Padron passed away, and so it, on my birthday, on my yeah. birthday, he passed away. Yeah. yeah, so I just like, ah, you know, I don't think selfish of him. <laughs> well, it just like, kind of made it really just kind of, yeah, just turned it into a downer, like you, you know, yeah, it kind of turned into a downer. I kind of felt like weird about it, so I, I put it off after that. So I, I just felt you know, I could pay respects in another way. Steve's over you here laughing and be like, I could have smoked that birthday. So. <laughs> I was gonna say that's just Steve over here laughing. Like, see, this is what you get. If you don't celebrate your birthday, you can smoke anything you want anytime you want. And it's that's like, true. That's true. That's, yeah. So, um, smoke a 50th in the morning when I get up, you know. <laughs> Why not? Right, right. <laughs> it's a Tuesday. <laughs> well, I had speak- Taco Bell yesterday. Yeah, for drone 50th. There you go. <laughs> So speaking of speaking of cigars uh, and not Padron 50s, I do have some I do have some cigars here, Steve, of yours that um, I would like to smoke one of them right now with you, gentlemen. So uh, I know we're going to get into what we're smoking here in just a second. But uh, Steve, as tradition will have it, uh, my guest always chooses my cigar. So I have some uh, great cigars to choose from. Uh, you will disagree because they're all yours but I think they're great. Um, and uh, so I just wanted to uh, let you pick my cigar today. So um, I've got an unopened, uh, which I'm fully prepared to open. I have an unopened box of Moisture de Saka Bewitched. Yeah, open uh, that. Open that. Have you smoked Bewitched? Yes, I have. Oh, okay. Tell me what else you got. Okay. You already know. So I have a, I have a, uh, a two-year-old uh, Mi Carita uh, Ancho Corto. Yeah, you're going to need to smoke another cigar. That's not going to carry you through this. So uh, I have, uh, we're going to get to this in a second, but I have, I have uh, one of Coop's favorites, the uh, Sin Compromiso Selection number five. Okay. Uh, the, I have two brulees, one blue, one not blue, one Toro. 
I'm still leaning towards the Bewitched. I'll this be time happy. We can do the that. The thing is, Bewitched kind of smoke quick anyway, so you'll still have time for a second cigar probably. Perfect. Go ahead and crack this baby open. I'm, I'm smoking a Bewitched. Okay. And it's, and it's shattering because I dropped it when I brought it out of the humidor. So it was already split before I lit it. So I'm being really cheap right now. How's this I'm not really on? being cheap. I'm just too lazy to go to the humidor to get another one. He's <laughs> <laughs> like two, yeah. ste- two, 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 uh, two steps out of the humidor. He's already dropped yeah, it. He's it's like, like oh, good God, I've gone, yeah. I've gone too far. I can't come no, back. I actually dropped it in the humidor. Oh, that's still, even worse. Still, um, so I couldn't. I looked down like, oh, this is okay. Until I got it out here and I clipped and lit it. And as you can see. Oh, no. Yeah, it's okay. Looks like it's still burning pretty I good. I think I'll send a complaint to the manufacturer. Maybe I can. <laughs> So Coop, Coop, what do you got? What do you got there? I got Paladin Disaka. Big boy. Uh, okay. uh, I went and bought more of these actually after Steve sent me them. Um, despite my like, we'll keep the consensus stuff out of this. This is Steve. This is this was the deal, man. It delivered. You know what's really funny? Yeah. It's so much better in the small. Stealing. I, I I wondered that too. I was actually wondering that. Yeah. No. We're smoking a small size. Yeah. Yeah. The um. I already have the small one 100% done. Let me go back to my notes that I make sure I'm telling you the right one. Yeah, it's uh, five and five eighths by 50. And yeah, I'm looking at my phone and I just wrote amazing. Wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> and for me to write amazing on my tasting notes, and that's all yeah. I write. No, that's why I chuckled. Right. That, that my tasting like, notes, right? Yeah. Are, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, yeah the, I, the thing is, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to be able to squeeze in releasing it. Usually we're, you know, when it comes to your personal notes, Steve, we're just used to saying not very good. Well, most of them are that way. Mediocre. Mediocre. So, Who's going to buy this? Slightly, <laughs> slightly, slightly above par. Yeah, I have. Uh, yeah, because I've, I've been running through about 40 different blends, either blends or variations of blends or different sizes. Just trying to cement what I'm doing for next year to make 100% sure. And um, yeah, and out of the 40, only like six of them have a shot of actually going in a box. So yeah, pretty high kill rate. Pyrrhosine Compromise, right? Cigars without compromise? Yeah. Isn't that the tagline? Yeah, but I figure it's easy for me to smoke it all and Look, it's always a risk whenever you release anything and you spend so much time and effort and money and you have so much hope invested that it's just better to drag my feet and like be really confident that it has a shot. You know what I mean? Because not everything will work, but I don't know. Just There's just no room for error anymore. And, and the thing is, every, everything's just gotten so much more difficult, particularly the last, you know, Really, like the last 10, 15 years. I mean, it's just really, really hard to get a brand to stick and for consumers to really, you know, stick with it, like it, smoke it on a repeat basis. You really, you really have to deliver something better than good anymore. Yeah. You really do. I mean, think of all the great cigars that, like, you guys review a ton of cigars, right? And think about cigars that you loved four, five, seven years ago and how. They're just completely gone, like non-existent. Oh. Even cigars from two years ago, in some cases, just completely gone. It's really hard. Yeah, get it, something to actually coax consumers' attention for more than just the release. 
it's, it's, it's a real, it's a real challenge. Yeah. And in fact, I had to kind of change my philosophy, how I was reviewing cigars because I can do these like trendy releases and review them and they'll get like a lot of short-term hits, but they weren't giving long-term sustainability for people coming back and reading about that cigar. So when I kind of made that shift, I'd say about 18 months ago, um, I've noticed a big change. I'm like seeing like reviews now that are just have much more long-term sustainability. And those are the ones that I've, I've tended to see brands that are succeeding with that. Right. So it's kind of, and it's kind of a little tricky to do it because sometimes you do it and you don't you have to balance it out. Coop, you want to cover this stuff, but you also want to, you want to cover the bleeding edge too, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, consumers, consumers. I mean, the bulk of, you know, the real hardcore internet guys, those people are into whatever the bleeding edge is, right? Yeah. They want yeah. to know what XYZ tastes like, got shown at the show. It's being shipped in the month of October. They want instant feedback on that cigar. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at some, you know, but then there's, you know, like there's releases like Monte Cristo 1935 is a great example. That one's just had a lot of long-term sustainability because it's a brand people know. Um, and it's actually gotten some accolades on top of that. So I see people kind of going back and reading about that one again. I just kind of look at that. And those are the t- that's why I have to try to figure out which ones are going to make it and which ones don't. Um, I mean, yeah. The only on the other hand, Total Sos Diaz is still read a lot on Coop. So, you know, and I know it's not totally active right now. So go figure. Well, yeah. that was good. That was going to be my question. I mean, but my comment about the cost of money, the, the cost of democracy, the, the Monte Cristo 1935. The only criticism that I have of that cigar is when they released it. It was the worst time of the year. to release. Yeah, it. I mean, they released yeah. it right, right. Bef- I mean, right before the new year, sort of. And, and yeah. Yeah. Like December. Just like late yeah. December. Led December. Yeah, that's, that is the worst time of year. Yeah, it was. It was very curious. And I mean, it was I mean, it was some, it was yeah. a cigar that immediately had. Coop and I talking about. I mean, we really enjoyed we, it. We, we had one of the early smokes. They released it because they had pre-existing orders for it, and they're looking to try to make some numbers. And here you have orders. You know what I mean? Yeah. You've got Good. you got whatever. I don't know. In the case like Monte Cristo, I bet they had twenty thousand boxes on order, right? Uh, and you got your you got the people above you saying your numbers, your numbers, your numbers, and mm-hmm. you know. And yeah, would it have made more sense to hold it? Sure. But how do you do that when, you know, you got bosses above you and you're a publicly, well, now you're a privately owned company, but you're a privately owned company, three generations, three times down the ladder behind an investor group. You know what I mean? So you don't really get to make these kind of decisions the way you used to get to make them. I mean, maybe in their heads, they thought it was perfect. But I, I can see a scenario where, look, and I, I'm going to have the same situation. You know, we have a limited release. It was always supposed to be delivered in January, which is not a good time either. Um, but it was a, a reprisal of uh, Todos Las Dias, right? So we're doing the uh, we're doing the thick lawns down. The Mas Forte. But, right. But we did it just to batch. So, like, we produced no extra. We produced, like, you know. We ordered it. Yeah. We ordered it. Just to cover the quality control issues. But essentially... You know, we sold, we didn't sell a lot of it. We sold a couple thousand boxes, right? So we produced like 22,060 boxes, maybe if I'm lucky. Might end up being 1,985 boxes once it's all done. But those cigars are going to be in the country probably in November. Do I go ahead and ship them out or do I stick with my original plan in January? If I ship them out in November, then guess what? That's going to instantly give me an extra 2,000 boxes worth of sales. 
and that'll make my numbers look better for this year. But in my case, who am I making the numbers look better for? For me, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it's totally different. Yeah. And I can say to myself, hey, would I rather hold them until I originally said in January? And then it gives my people in the office something to do in January. You know what I mean? Because January is going to be slow. We all know January's slow, you know? And uh, so, you know, but a lot of times these releases, they, they, they never happen on schedule. I bet they had an intention of 1935 landing months earlier than it did. I'm pretty sure they did. Oh, yeah. Pretty sure. It was the I'm COVID sure. year, too. So, I mean, it was. Yeah, because that was like, I think we got word of that mid-year, actually. Yeah, because the only time you, like, if you're trying to do something for the holidays, it really has to be shipping, like, right now. Now, yeah. You know what I mean? Right now is the window, because you want it to land in the retailer shop prior to the Thanksgiving holiday. Mm-hmm. And ideally, about a week before the Thanksgiving holiday, if it's something that you're intending to be a holiday release, like. But Viaje does something every year with turkeys or what? No, that's uh, they, yeah, stuff. Yeah, they turkeys. don't. They do. Yeah, the they do they several. Tur- they do. Yeah. They, I think they do all three. I think they do Halloween, Thanksgiving, and yeah. I mean, look what happened to Abe last year with his Advent calendar. Right, right? he couldn't. He, and actually, he couldn't sell them out. But and it wasn't because it wasn't good. Because this year he sold out. Right, but because yeah. he sold out this year because he could offer it in October. Yeah, all the parts and pieces were there. Get all the packaging. This is when you sell that thing out. You know what I mean? But when it gets to the when you get to it December 14th, you're like, hey, I have an advent calendar. Yeah. You're like literally delivering it already when the first 10 days of advent have gone away already. You know what I mean? Yep. So and look, it's not his fault. These things happen, but I'm I'm sure that's probably what happened to them on the 1935 release. Yeah. They probably got pressed because of delays. And then it just became a fiscal decision. I mean, it turned out it worked out well for them because they got it the next year. They got the rating and it did very well for them. So, you know, it was good. It was good that it worked out in the end. Um, but it probably would have got a bigger boost earlier. I don't even know anything about it. It's a good cigar. It's a, I think you yeah. might like that one, Steve. Yeah, I've heard yeah. I've heard multiple people say good things about it. Let me say that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Bear and I, when we smoked it, we really liked it. But, you know. Loomis hated it, so go figure. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it might. I think it might be in your wheelhouse. I mean, different. You know, I, I think it would be too. That's what. That, I'm not saying it was going to be his favorite cigar, but I could see it being in Steve's wheelhouse. Yeah. yeah. So I'll pick one up when I'm in the store. Give it a whirl. Yep. So speaking of giving things a whirl, that'll lead us into tonight's major point, which is always brought to you by the people. Yes, cigar people, the people who know everything about a lifetime of service. Protocol cigars is more than just pool parties and good times. Well. Maybe it is. But behind the fun is a motivation for service, a motivation for giving back from the original Protocol Blue to the latest release in the Lawman series, Phoebe Cousins. Protocol has always been about honor, passion, and yes, the people. It's what their life's work has been and always will be about. Power of the P Protocol Cigars. So um, I can't remember the transitional point that I used to get into this segment, but I'm going to let I'm going to let this moment just stand as a beacon because I, I've, I've, I have I have had many conversations with you, Coop both private and public about this. I've had many conversations with you, Steve, both private and public about this, about the scene compromiso and how Coop doesn't like it. So no, and, I, let's be careful about it. It, it. There's other lines I'd reach for first. Right. Of yeah. course. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you're not saying it's a dog rocket. Right. But I mean, this is the this is the line that Steve has had such a that had months pride yeah. into until he right. came out with the paladin to soccer. And so, um, 
Steve, I'm just going to read something off to you, uh, and then I'm going to let you bask oh. in your glory here real quick. So um, final thoughts, overall assessment. So while I wasn't overly doing handstands with the original Sin Compromiso, the Sin Compromiso, Paladin Asaka, was another story. While I can nitpick such things as draw and burn and finish, the key thing is that the Paladin de Saka excels in the most important category, flavor. These cigars really responded quite well to aging. While I understand these cigars, uh, these cigars were aged at the factory, the extra aging seems to have made the cigar really enjoyable. At the price point, the cigar will not be a chief investment, but at the same time, I have no problem recommending this cigar to a cigar enthusiast. As for myself, this is a cigar I would definitely smoke again, and certainly one that garners a box-worthy consideration coming in at 92 points. I scored a year. cigar that easily exceeds the threshold for the Cigar Coupe Standard of Excellence. Steve. What's a box of Sin Compromiso Paladin the stock has cost? Like $1,900. <laughs> No, about, no. About, about, I guess it's three and change, it would be. Yeah, it's 30. Yeah, it's because it's they're like 29 30. something, and then it's times 13. Yeah, it's it's like almost four hundred dollars yeah. box of cigars. Yeah, pricey, but, yeah. Wor- but worthy of uh, but worthy of box consideration it, purchase. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Coop. No, I, I really did. Um, and it just, I don't know, like I said, it's, it, and, it, and I want to be clear. I think I've said Sin Carpenter. I gave you the other one at 89, but, you know, I'd go for Total Diaz, I mean, Caritas before him. But, but this, I mean, I just was like, I remember when it started getting the rankings, and you and Steve and I, we had, we had a little, we talked about this, Steve and I. But I'm like, sometimes I just wonder if people smoke a cigar and they get happy years right away, right? And I wanted to see how this thing sustained throughout the year. So I've been smoking these for about the last nine months or so, and I actually went and bought some more. And... It was, yeah, it just was consistent. What it wasn't, it was just wow. This is this is clearly one of the best cigars that Steve's done. And uh, like I said, I haven't been given a lot of ninety twos out these days. So, so uh, you can figure where it might or might not end up at the end of the year. Once again, I end up dividing my votes for that whole half wheel consensus. I keep fucking myself over with that. You do, you do. I know, but look, it's look, it's really a question of. Sin Compromiso, to me, in my mind, has a lot of similarities to Padron Anniversaries. Absolutely. absolutely. Profile, but they're in that kind of genre. They're in that wheelhouse, right? So I can see the guy that really likes Padron Anniversaries saying, okay, uh, this would work. And I kind of look at the original Sin being more at the milder end of the spectrum, more like 1964, whereas I look at the Paladin Blends, being at the heavier end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a question of, do you just like a little bit more zoom, zoom in your cigar? And I, I think the Paladin gives you that. I, I think that's exactly what happened with me. And Steve, you remember I said, you gave me that pre-release of the of the prototype, I should say, it was one that wasn't the final blend. And I, I did really like it because it had, it, it, I know it was a different blend, but it had that, it didn't have the soft press on it. For whatever reason, I no, I, it didn't I, have the soft. It had the hard press on it. Yeah, it had the hard press. I like right. for whatever reason I like that one, but you know, again, I only so, had it once. again the hard press also, just in addition to the fact that the blend is different in the paladin, not different structurally, but there's an yeah. added ingredient. Also, firm pressing the blend makes it stronger. It, it just gave it a little more oomph to it to me, yeah. and it made it more robust for me. Well, I'm like, okay, this has really pulled it over the line for me, where I'll pay the extra money to get the paladin. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, now I think for most consumers, is it 
Is it $12 better than a Syncom or MISO number two? That's kind of a hard stretch. But for me, it's also about the fact that I don't ever expect to sell as many Paladins as I expect to sell regular Sins. I mean, Paladins are meant to be a special occasion, yep. celebratory, you know, that cherry on the top of the Sunday kind of cigar. And, you know, the fact that it's such a small production item and then the fact that it's aged a full year and the fact that I have to get an ingredient for it that I otherwise wouldn't get if it wasn't for that. And then the extra sort on the wrapper to make sure the very best of the best, best wrappers go to that. So there's a lot of little steps yep. and things involved. Um, and so for me, you know, even, even Paladins being wildly successful, they're never going to be real money makers. You know what I mean? Just never going to sell a lot of Paladin. It's just, there's not a lot of guys who are smoking $29 cigars. Well, you're yeah. going to, what's it, what's it going to be? It's, it's going to be Umbagog for you, right? I mean, we're talking about volume. Um, oddly enough, it's really kind of evenly split. I, I know I've said this recently. Um, I mean, Umbagog is probably the largest volume, maybe, but maybe not. I sell a lot of brulee. And surprisingly, I sell a lot of sins. I, mean, not, I sell a lot of sins, too, but I sell, I sell an awful lot of Stillwell. Stillwell has proven to be a, a much better, better commercial hit than it has proven to be a, uh, a media hit. You know, I got a lot of attention because it was so weird and different last year, but I don't get a lot of love on Stillwell Star online, but sales-wise, the sales on Stillwell Star are really incredibly strong. But when I say that, right now, once Totos Las Dias left the portfolio, my worst selling brand is about 12% of our sales. And my best-selling brand is about 18% of my sales. Okay. So everything pretty is pretty yeah. evenly divided. It's not like I have, it's not like, okay, it's all brulee and umbagog and then everything else. You know what I mean? It's really, it's pretty evenly split. Now, I sell more, <coughs> I sell more me, K-Rita Blue than I do red. But blue had a three-year advantage on red, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, because there was a three-year gap. And even the first year when we launched red, I remember right. We launched it in one or two sizes only. We didn't even launch it as a full thing. You know what I mean? So it really had a four-year gap. Um, so it's hard to know where it'll be four years in the future. But I mean, of 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 the BK Rita's, the blue sells more than the red. But the red's growing faster than the blue did. But also part of that is also because the company's older. So we have more accounts. And more consumers know who we are, so they're more apt to try the red. You know what I mean? The blue sets up the red. The company being more well-known sets up the red. So pretty much every time we release a new brand, it always does the best that we've ever done because we're just doing better as we grow. You know what I mean? So Stillwell Star was my number one release ever. And before that, Brulee was my number one release ever. And before that, Sin Compromise. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. That so natural it's just a progression of things. So it's really, it's really hard to judge it in a vacuum. Um, but overall, everything pretty much is selling well. Um, the only thing that isn't selling well was Todos Las Dias. Todos Las Dias was not doing particularly well um, comparatively to the other brands. So, well, just to go back a second ago, like when you're talking about volume and you're saying that it's it's Umbagog, your least which. Is is a natural selection. That's why I said it was because it's 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 your least expensive line, right? Um, yeah, great value on it. 
but great value on all your cigars too. Um, but, but the so, brulee, you know, is it at, you know, what retailing from 12 to 14, 11, yeah, roughly 12, 12, 14 is about where it averages out for, most for that people. to be your biggest volume. I mean, that's, that's awesome. That's insane. Yeah. But that again, that's what makes sense because if 50% of the market's Connecticut shade, milder cigars, yeah. then you're, then you're fishing in the biggest pond. That's fair. That's fair. You know what I mean? Whereas, I mean, when you're fishing in the pond of Paladin de Saka, that's the guys that are buying Davidoff $40 chef editions and guys that are buying special release Padrones. And you know what I mean? You're in a, you're in a totally different, you're just in a totally different uh, user group when it comes to those cigars. But I see, yeah, but I see people, Steve, maybe saying, you know what? The Paladin de Saka, they don't come out as often. Maybe I'll treat myself to a box because I really like it. Kind of like what people do with the Padron 80s. Yeah. So I can see that, and I think it's that type of cigar that you have. That and certainly that, that, that is the intent yeah. of it. It's, it, yeah. it was never it was never yeah. destined to be a massive seller. Now sometimes I get surprised. Like Relay Blue has become a really big seller. You know what I mean? Um, it's it's really become rather large. Uh, it's uh, it's not my number one brulee, but it's my number two. No, it's my number three. Some more Toros and Bustos. But I still don't even know what Brulee Blue can sell because even though we've constantly been ramping up production, I always have that one-year lag time. So I'm never, I'm never right on Brulee Blue. So I'm always behind on it. So I don't even know if I had, if I had as many Brulee Blue as I had Brulee Toros, would Brulee Blue beat out the Brulee Toro? It's hard in my mind to think it would. Um, just because of the size of it more than the price. I think the size is a bigger issue than the price because the price is a couple dollars more, right? It's $15.95. Um, so I don't think the price, I, th I think if you're a guy and you're smoking $13.50 Connecticut shades, you buying a $15.95 Connecticut shades, not too out of the realm. Um, I don't think that's a big delta there. Um, I think once you, once you end up in that 12 to, $15 range, you don't really start to hesitate again until you start approaching the $20 range, right? That's where you start to go. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it, it, I, I had these two cigars as part of my choices tonight, see. So it's, it's it's interesting that you brought this up, the, the, the Brulee Toro and then the Brulee Blue, right? And yeah. here they are side by side. And um, so I'm going to, this is going to be an impossible question for you to answer because you're so self-deprecating most of the time. But like that for me, again, and I'm not, it's nothing. I'm not saying this disparaging of the of the Brulee Toro. I, I have it. I smoke it. I think it's I think it's very good. I I mean I would take the I would take the blue over it ten times over. Well, but here's the funny part. I find that people that are like more experienced smokers, the people that tend to like smoking towards the slightly they're on the heavier side of the bell curve. They almost universally prefer Brulee Blue. But okay, when you talk to the guy that's smoking Monte Cristo Whites and Romeo and Julieta Churchills and Ashton Classic and, you know, Drew Estate Undercrown Shade, they they lean more towards the they lean way more towards the uh, the regular brulees over the brulee blue. OK, well, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely would categorize. I would I would put myself in that category that you suggested, but you you, you were talking about fishing in this big pond of, of Connecticut's right where it's 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 obviously one of, it's obviously the most popular rapper uh, and cigar yeah. 
and everything. But at the same time, you're you're fishing in that big pond. Right. That's why normally so big. That's why normally small companies don't do well in it. Because well, that's my question. Small, yeah. Right, as a small company, you get squeezed out. Okay. And and one of the reasons you get squeezed out is because you can't compete on price at all. Right. Those guys have got you, you know, dead to the nuts on price. They can literally make anything to hit the retail shelf for three bucks cheaper. Number one. Number two, the consumers that tend to smoke those mild Connecticut shade cigars tend to be some of the least adventurous consumers. They're not the ones that are into the small brands and following all what's hot and what's not hot and what's the buzz. They're just not that consumer at all. So, and the other thing too is you get really very little love on it from, again, the internet because it's a mild Connecticut shade cigar. You know, it doesn't get a lot. I think oddly enough though, brulee brulee was something i needed because i didn't have that in the portfolio i didn't have a mild connecticut shade cigar i didn't envision brulee doing as well as it did um but when you really start to think about it it's a really good connecticut shade cigar right it's definitely as good as or better than almost every other thing in the market it's on par with the top and for the retailer there's an incentive to sell it because it's unique to their consumers, right? And it's beautifully packaged. And it also lets them make a little bit more money because they're stepping their consumer up a couple dollars to get them into a brulee. So there's an incentive for the retailer to actually go out of their way to recommend a brulee. And the other thing that retailers like is they also, because brulees cost a little bit more, the quality of the construction is better. So they don't end up getting as much consumer complaints Okay, when they sell the consumer or a brulee. So that they like that too, because retailers hate to deal with dissatisfied customers, right? When you recommend a brand and then it doesn't draw well or it's constantly splitting, this all reflects badly on the retailer, even though he had nothing to do with making the cigar, but he did have to make the recommendation. And then I think the other thing that really helped brulee was the blue, because the blue did capture the imagination of the non-regular mild Connecticut shade cigar smoker. So I ended up getting a lot of, and I still get it now. You see a lot of really glowing, you know, posts about brulee blue. People will, people will flex with a brulee blue, right? They will. And how many Connecticut shade cigars do you see people flex with? I mean, there's not a whole bunch out there that people flex with a Connecticut shade cigar, but they will with a blue. So I'm getting the internet love on Brulee Blue, but that translates to much bigger. You know what I mean? You, you get all the love on a whatever, uh, Liga Pravada Unico Dirty Rat, it all ends up coming back to number nine in T52, you know, because they see the name, Liga, 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 Liga. Well, so I think it's kind of a combination of things that have really let Brulee do what it's been doing. So would you... <laughs> I'm not trying to put you in a spot here, Steve, but that uh, you you really did capture my interest when you were talking about fishing in this pond, and you just answered why why brulee is so successful in it. So, would you say that if if another company could follow that model, or if com- the reason why companies aren't successful in that is because they haven't been able to, they're either com- they're either too competitive on price, right? So, why are they going to get something that's the same price when they can go to something familiar, or they're it's not competitive on price, but the quality's not there 
I mean, is that, is, 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 do you think that's what, why so many people just kind of stay away from it? Because it's, there's just, there's too many things that have to be perfect in order to be successful in that. I don't, I don't, it's, I don't think anyone stays away with it. I think we all go there. Um, but ultimately it's very, look, you're, I mean, you're talking about unseating some really giant people. I mean, to have a brand like Brulee do what it's doing, that's not coming out of my peers' pockets. You know what I mean? That's kind of like, you could argue, okay, Robert, and Robert, Robert Holt's got his thing with his Rosa Sharon, but you can only sell so much Rosa Sharon. You know what I mean? When you start doing the kind of numbers that I'm doing on Brulee, that's coming out of real people's pockets. You know, that's coming out of that's coming out of the big four, big fives pockets. That's where those type of sales come from. They're not coming from the people that are in my weight class. Because it just it isn't there. And that's what makes it such a challenge. And I look, I think Brulee is a fantastic cigar. and I'm glad it's doing well. But it's probably the one that surprises me the most that it's managed to catch the way it's caught understanding the inherent barriers there are for a small company to be long-term successful with a Connecticut shade. Cause almost all small companies when they release a Connecticut shade, what ends up happening is retailers don't care about it. Their customers who typically buy them don't care about it. And then the media typically says, yeah, it was pretty good for a Connecticut shade. And then they just move on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's just so many barriers to pushing into that kind of market. It's really, it's really, really tough. So yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm happy that it's doing as well as it's doing. And I have a lot of accounts now that um, have a lot of accounts that Brulee is in their top three selling brands. I, I have some stores that Brulee is their number one selling brand now in their shop. Not a lot, but about 15 or 16 that Brulee is actually their number one selling cigar in the store. Well, I mean, I believe it's just been immensely popular. And this is something I'm glad you brought it up because this is something I was kind of wanting to explore. And it's funny you mentioned those two sizes that I just happen to have. Coop, you've been covering the industry for a long time. When we about about this time five years ago, we were kind of what I called a you know Connecticut Renaissance. And it was about the time that we saw Brulee release and everything. Right. Um, you know what? We'll yeah, a little at, he he was yeah a little bit after because you know yeah, Steve's whole thing was behind the Renaissance I think well yeah and your but your whole thing was not this is not your grand this is your grandfather's Connecticut rather as opposed to everyone else right, was I was, trying to I was the opposite I'm yeah. I'm saying that this is this is the way I remember Connecticut's tasting when I used to smoke them in the 80s and early 90s and most of the Connecticut's today they just seem kind of thin and wispy to me or they seem too strong you know what I mean like. They're just making really strong Connecticut's, but I don't understand that because the consumers that like Connecticut shade don't want strong cigars and the guys that want strong cigars don't typically want to be smoking a light shade wrapper. So I don't know who the customer is for this, not your grandfather's Connecticut. It doesn't make sense to me from a business commercial point of view. So Coop, your thoughts on like, you've again, you've covered the, the industry for, you know, the, over a decade now. And you've seen a lot of trends come and go and everything Or like this one seems to, I think there was like 10 years ago and even beyond, it was like, I'm doing a Connecticut cause I have to. Then the Renaissance was this, I'm doing something different. Steve comes three years later, he bucks the trend again, says, no, we're going to go back to that. 
and meanwhile, there's this 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 wave of you know peak and valley of success across different companies and everything. I mean, what have you seen on the Connecticut scene over that over the course of the time? You know, in terms of covering it. Yeah, you know, it's um there was this notion of the of the new age Connecticut's that we saw about five years ago where they were the bolder Connecticut's that started coming out. I mean, I remember when, when I was just talking to Hector about this last week, you know, when 601 Black came out, it was like ahead of its time. People weren't ready for that. Um, but, you know, now now that some of these bolder Connecticut's have come out, you know, they, they tend to um, they've been embraced. But here's what I've noticed about them. The new age Connecticut's kind of fall into that boat of Internet cigars. Right. And it's still the a lot of the traditional ones are still the ones that I see at least get traction. I'll give you a good example. It's like A.J. Fernandez's New World Connecticut is a good example. That's a milder cigar in his portfolio, by all means. It's not meant to be a new age Connecticut. He uses a U.S. rapper. That's had some legs. I think, you know, Robert Holt had some success with Rosa Sharon, but I think he's limited by the amount he could sell production-wise. So, I, don't, I mean, I think it gets a lot of buzz on the internet, but I wouldn't necessarily call, call it a, a uh, you know, one that's going to make or break your shop either. So, but the new age ones tend to have, like, a lot of these fall into the boat, come and go. The other observation I'll make is... Newer companies tend not to start with a Connecticut, I noticed. They start with something else, and then, like, by that third or fourth release, they'll, they'll put the Connecticut out there. I mean, I'm thinking of, like, Nicholas Malolo did the same thing, you know. Right. He didn't come out with his Connecticut for a little while. He had two Connecticuts that came out, but he waited a little while to do that. And I think it's kind of a, it's a smart approach because you don't want to come out that Connecticut because you're going to be – what are you competing with right away? Macanudo, right? You know, right. you're going to be competing with Macanudo, and, and that's probably not the best thing they, for a new company to do. And they used to be the model. You know, you had yeah. your Connecticut and Maduro, like your natural right. and Maduro, like that was the right. thing, right? Right. But if you kind of get your, if you kind of get your legs with something, you know, uh, like, you know, in your wheelhouse, then you can kind of go back and like what Steve did introduce that Connecticut, and I think there's, a, there's certainly a market because now the brand has some has some. Uh, credentials you know it has some street creds now so now you can go back in there and it's a little easier to introduce that connecticut rather than trying to go out there and compete with macanudo from from day one i think steve just gave me an epiphany on the whole uh why i prefer the blue and two because i know that we've we've brought up robert holt's uh brands here and like i would i would universally buy a blue over a brulee and i would universally buy the desert rose over a regular rose of sharon like hands down 10 times over on both yeah, I mean, starter profile. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, uh, and, and Brulee Blue, I think, like I said, it, it, uh, what surprised me about Brulee Blue is the size. Like, you know, it's not a, a sexy size with a lot of like guys like us, I guess, but it, it's, I shouldn't say that for, for the, not for guys like us, the, the right, you know, the, the regular consumers aren't really big into that size. They're not big into those Lonsdale's. Yeah. yeah they're not big into that. It's a, terrible, it's a terrible size. Yeah. From a commercial point of view, it is, but it's obviously worked. Yeah. But I think if that was your first release, it yeah. works as a single thing within a greater brulee universe. Yeah. I mean, I mean, in the regular Sober Mesa, the slowest selling size is a Cervantes Fino. Um, you know, I happen to think it's one of the best of the original Sober. Yeah, I agree. Uh, 100%. I, I love the cigar, but the fact that I love it and think it's the best. It doesn't hold a candle to the Toro or the Robusto. Yeah. Both the Toro and the Robusto sell not, I mean, they sell, they don't sell a little more. They sell 10 and 12 fold of what the Cervantes Fino sells, you know? I mean, and uh, so, I mean, I think, I think the fact that 
brulee blue being an island onto itself makes it sexier. And I think that like Cervantes Fino, it would have been better served had I held that back and three, four years down the road had done something to treat the Cervantes Fino as something, you know, to stand, to give it some sort of more recognition within the brand because it gets lost. And the thing is, most retailers will never stock Cervantes Fino because they know their consumers, they don't want a six and a quarter by 46 ring gauge cigar, right? So it doesn't even get on the shelf in most retail shops because they're looking and go, okay, Sober Mesa, yeah, I got to have the Toro, I got to have the Robusto. What other one or two do I have to have? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Cervantes Fino is almost always the last choice. The only time it isn't the last choice is when you have that shop that caters to those type of customers, their staff caters to those type of customers. You know what I mean? Yeah. But those type of shops are like one in 50, one in 60. You know what I mean? They're not that many really around the country that do that. So you, you, you just start off in the hole. And that's true with any of the smaller ring gauges. It's I, mean, yeah. I mean, I've told you this before, Steve, the Cervantes Fino is probably my favorite cigar. That mine too. It's my favorite in the line too. So um, I know I'm not. A lot of people like, but I, I go with Cervantes Fino over the Americano. Yeah. Yeah. And I do too. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know, consumers don't. Thousand percent. Um, yeah. So wanted to dive into this, uh, to the cigar that I'm smoking tonight. And then uh, we're going to break this up with some fun segments too, as well along the way. So I'm smoking, uh, you, you selected the moisture to Saka, the bewitched, uh, six yeah. and five eighths by 48, uh, box, uh, is it box press or soft press? What would you say, Steve? It's box press, right? Yeah, it's kind of a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's not a severe trunk press, but it's not soft press either. It's kind of a mid press, so right? Mid press. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's kind of in the middle there. Um, I, and I've had it before and I've absolutely great. That's, uh, that's actually one of three boxes that I've purchased. Um, what so. I find weird about the bewitched is it doesn't have a lot of really like distinct flavor notes, you know what I mean? But yet it's just pleasurable to smoke. Every time I light one, I'm like, wow, this is really, really good. But it's not like you say, oh, this is really earthy or this is really chocolatey or this is really bright or this is really spicy or this is really it's just kind of flavor wise, just kind of in the middle and balanced. But I just really, really like it every time I smoke it. I always find it a really relaxing smoking experience. I find it really smooth. I find it really creamy. I find it I find it I find it a very relaxing cigar to smoke is the way I find Bewitched. I don't think it's one that really like Uber challenges the palate with all these different nuances. I don't think it gives you that, but I, I think it, I think it just gives you this kind of, it gives me kind of almost a sense of serenity when I smoke the Bewitch blend. I really like it. Hey, I can agree with some of those points. Uh, Coop, what, what were your, some of your impressions with the Bewitched? Uh, you have smoked it, correct? Yeah, I've smoked it. Um, I haven't reviewed it yet, but it, I think it might be my favorite of the Moestras uh, to date. Um, my first reaction was I could see why that cigar went national out of Al Shop because it was it was really good. Um, so definitely, like what Steve said, it was it was on the flavor side that really impressed me with that. Um, so yeah, I, I think it was a really good release uh, to come out with this year. 
So, Steve, you, you, I mean, you were touting this cigar pretty, you know, pretty heavily, and yeah. and, and a guy who, who, you know, is self-deprecating all the time. You know, you were, you were, you were pretty high on this. High on this, yeah. Uh, I become less self-deprecating when it comes to these cigar releases as our market share has grown, because you also have to understand too that. I'm now not, I'm catering to, I'm still trying to cater to the people that like are really into Dunbarton and follow the U-boats and the Don Dermas and all the little idiosyncrasies, but you're now talking to now to a much wider audience, right? Of consumers that aren't into that. And you guys know me, so you understand it, but the average consumer who's experienced with Dunbarton is something that's just been the last couple of years. They've kind of discovered the brand. They don't get that at all. It just completely goes over their head. So I, I have to be a little bit more of a cheerleader now um, than I had to have been in the past because now I'm talking to a much different audience. So I try to talk to my core audience, okay, people that are probably going to watch this podcast, okay, versus the audience that's the Instagram people. You know what I mean? It, it's it's different now. You it's it, it becomes a much more different kind of game, and the problem is, as the company grows, I have to take this into consideration. So they 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 would never understand my whole "it sucks" kind of perspective <laughs> on things. You know what I mean? Well, we're just happy that you're finally enjoying your product as much as we do, Steve. I mean, that's yeah. just bottom line. Uh, but could you were going to say something? Sorry. Yeah, I got to, you know, it seems, and Steve, you could correct me on this. So it seemed like with the media guys, Paladin has just got a lot more attention than Bewitched. Is that your observation or am I missing something that maybe? Um, I don't know because I'm always surprised when we get to the end of the year and I end up so high on the consensus because I don't tend to see as many reviews of my cigars as I used to see, but yet there seems to be a lot of them. Yeah. Um, Again, the problem the problem you have is if you keep it's almost like I'm always stepping on my own message, right? So you have Paladin, and then you have Bewitched, and then you have Miki Rita Black, and then in the middle I have this weird beef stick thing that ends up as an early release that's a really great cigar. And then you have and then you have U-boat and the, the U-boat torpedoes. I mean the U-boat's a great blend. But the torpedoes that were in the box, the two extra torps, they were really unmagical. They were a great smoke. You know what I mean? So it, it it's almost it becomes almost too much. You know, it's like I'm it's almost like I'm not giving yeah. enough opportunity for things to breathe. And and that and that and that's that's a problem. And at the same time, you're also being driven forward by market demand. You got consumers that, you know, they always they want something new and fresh. And you also have the fact that as a company grows, I have responsibility for more salaries. And if I'm not compromising on the quality and the flavors, then it's kind of like, well, why not do it? You know what I mean? But I can tell you like this year, I have, a, I have another Brulee Blue done. I was going to release it at the trade show, but I decided not to because it's just like such a crowded message, you know, for the year. Just like I told you guys before we started this, I have another size of Paladin. It's a five and five eighths by 50 that I just love. And I don't know, is there any room in the 2023 schedule 
to even release that cigar. There's, there's only so much air and you can only talk about so many things. Right. And, you know, and I'm moving into the fact that I already knew that on the calendar, I was going to have Krakatoa, which I've been working on fucking forever. So I just wanted to get it off my plate. Right. And then, but by doing Krakatoa, look on stolen valor, basically because of my failure on Krakatoa, it got a whole extra year and a half between COVID and my failure of getting Krakatoa right. I'm still in Valor, got like an extra 18 to 20 months worth of front and center, the new Mawester in the market. And guess what? It served it well. You know, so, I mean, I have to ask myself, yeah, I mean, I have it on the calendar to do Krakatoa in, you know, spring of 2023. But is that actually the smartest thing to do? Am I not am I not giving enough chance for Bewitched? And then the other problem I have is if I do Krakatoa, now Muestra has become like this absurdly large brand. Well, something has to go, right? The retailers are not going to keep giving me another slot on their shelf for yet another Muestra, right? If I'm doing one every year, every year and a half, well, eventually this brand ends up being an entire store of Western Osaka. That isn't good for the retailer. That isn't good for me. You know what I mean? So if I do Krakatoa, then what ends up dying? Well, the problem is when you choose something that dies, everything below the current release always sell. They're all sell equally. So I sell just as many now leave me the hell alone as I do of exclusivos as I do of Nakatamales. Their sales, the September to September, because I just went through the numbers, they're literally within 200 boxes of one another for a 12-month period. They're essentially equal in sales. So which is the one that you put the bullet in? You know, it's easier when it's Totos Las Dias and it's only growing 17% and everything else is growing 40%. And Totos Las Dias is the one that for most shops didn't do well with it. It's a few shops that are doing really well with it that are really kind of offsetting the numbers. But nationwide, Totos isn't doing well in most shops. Okay, there you go. If you got to kill something to make space, then this is what I would want to kill. But when it comes to like Muestra, who do you vote off the island? Well, why couldn't we? I mean, isn't this just kind of like, you know, we might be able to educate the retailer here. And why don't we, with something as special as the Muestras are, which is what their original intent was. And I I don't think you've steered away from that, Steve. Um, is that why couldn't they be a rotate? Why couldn't you bring in like a rotational basis? Like, you know, quarterly, you know, you know, quarterly, you know, kind of rotations like to where like yeah, quarterly I, isn't enough though. Cause retailers doesn't retail retailers don't want that. I mean, retailers aren't going to flip. Look, a retailer buys these molesters and I mean, look, it, you know, you worked in a retail shop. It's a pain in the ass, you know, to add a product and take a product away. I mean, a lot of stuff stays on the shelf just because it's more convenient to leave it there. You know what I mean? Constantly reshuffling, retagging, readjusting, moving things around. It, it becomes a real chore. There are a lot of shops that I guarantee you, wherever Undercrown Sungrown is sitting has been where it sat from the moment it got launched. And it literally has not moved. And that first box that they opened on their shelf, it's the same box that they just keep refilling because they don't want to ever have to do the ticker tape again to go on the box. <laughs> and so you also got to think about that too. Again, there's a much different, there's a big difference between that 
really proactive retailer that's like uber engaged and curating their inventory versus the regular retailer. And the reality is there's way more regular retailers than there are of curating retailers. Remember curating retailers in the country? I don't even know if there's 300 of them and really good ones. It's probably less than a hundred. I mean, really, really good. I mean, it's pretty small. That's, I think that's, that's a fair point to go back to the moisture though, the, and the bewitch specifically, I mean, I mean, is it out taking, so take, take unicorn out of the conversation. Yeah. Unicorns don't count. Is, is, is bewitched your favorite moisture? Um, between it and Naka Tamale. Cause I know Naka Tamale has always been the high one, but it seemed like you've just been really enjoying this blend. So, yeah. But you always kind of, it's, I also suffer from recency bias, right? I mean, you tend to, you tend to want to kiss your newest girl a little more, you know, so, and, and I have that experience too. And then what ends up happening is over time, I end up settling on things like going back to the Sober Mesa, Cervantes Fino. I never smoke a Robusto Larga. I smoke a Robusto Larga because I have to. Quality control, make sure the blend is right, blah, blah, blah. But there's never a time I ever go to my humidor, you go, oh yeah, I'm going to light a Robusto Largo for enjoyment. You know what I mean? When I smoke Robusto Largos, it's for work. But guess what? I rarely smoke Robustos, period. Robusto is just not a size I smoke. Part of that has to do with the fact that I'm not normally trying to squeeze my cigars into a 45-minute to an hour and 15-minute window. I don't have those time constraints that most a lot of smokers do. So for me, if I smoke a Robusto, it just means I have to smoke two Robustos. So why not light up something that's you know six to seven inches longer? It's a couple inches longer. So that has a lot to do with just my, the way I smoke. But I mean, in the end, and, I, and I've said this on multiple podcasts, Toro Robusto Gordo, it's 85% of the sales. Everything else is fluff around the edges. Yeah. All the other sizes added together, they equal about 15% of the total sales in any given year across all the brands. Now you have little weird things like Sober Mesa Brulee Blue that, oh, that does really well. Or you have a, uh, a Fuente short story that's a really odd side. You know what I mean? I mean, there's obviously things that break out of that category. You can point to these examples, but just as a general rule of thumb, Toro Robusto Gordo, 85% of the overall sales. So Coop, uh, you said this with the the bitch, the bewitched was your favorite. Again, taking the unicorn out of it because I know you're high on that cigar too. Uh, yeah, the unicorn I'll put in a separate category, yeah. Uh, but the bewitched is your favorite of all of them? What was right what now? Was, I would say it, right now it is. Yeah. What I mean, did it supersede? Just curious. Uh the one that I liked was the Exclusivo. Dude, that's me too. I, I like the Exclusivo. Yeah. It's probably um, the mildest of the lot, except for maybe the Lancero. Lancero is pretty mild too, but the Exclusivo is a mild cigar. Yeah, it was. Um, I like the Exclusivo a lot. I mean, it's a very approachable. The way I kind of look at it, it's very approachable. That cigar. That to to your point though, Steve, it has a lot more complexity than the Bewitched. There's a lot more nuance to that cigar, in my opinion. I mean, well, part of it is because I mean, all the tobaccos are so aged in that cigar. I mean, at this point now, I mean, there isn't a single material in it that's younger than five years of bale aging at this point. Oh shit! Every everything in an exclusivo at this point is running between. I used to say five to seven, but I'm now at five to eight. Is where I'm at currently. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, and look, it's going to be one of the harder lines. The exclusive is going to be the one that's going to be hardest to give up 
because I have backlogs of tobacco to hit this five to seven year window that has been sitting in for so long. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I have dedicated tobacco that's reserved for Exclusivo, but Exclusivo doesn't sell more than a Now Leave Me the Hell Alone, doesn't sell more than a Knock of Tamale. Unstolen Valor. Wow. Unstolen Valor sells way more. But guess what? When I get to the middle of next year, Unstolen Valor sales will cut in half and they'll be more unbewitched. And then by the time I go two years in the future, Unstolen Valor will probably be selling the same as Exclusivo and Now Leave Me the Hell Alone and Naka Tamale. And because that just seems to be the trend with Muestra. Um, what I am surprised by is that none of them have died um, in the Muestra line, but I think, and again, I'd have to do a real deep dive on the numbers. I haven't, but I bet that's because it has just particular shops are really supporting it. In other words, I don't think all shops have all the Muestras on their shelves. I think shops have three or four Muestras on their shelves, and those guys are really into Lanceros. They're stocking the Now Leave Me the Hell Alone, and those retailers that don't stock Lanceros they bought the first year's worth and then they never bought it again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, so, but I, I'd have to really look and figure out what the distribution is, but I bet that's the way if you look at it, whereas most stores that stock Muestra, they all have had unstolen valor on their shelves for the last couple of years. And now they all have bewitched on their shelves. And if I release Krakatoa, they're going to make a decision about which one to take off their shelf. Because they're not going to just keep giving me more and more facings. The Lancero sells more than the Exclusivo, like volume-wise. No, they're within. Like I said, they're those sizes are within two hundred boxes of one another. Oh, okay. So they're all, so yeah. they're all equal. Yeah. The only one that isn't equal right now is Unstolen Valor and Bewitched, but that's always been the case. The newest ones sell greater volume. Right. Right. Another thing that's different too is look when we first released Exclusivo. I can't remember exactly, but I think we sold like maybe a thousand boxes, twelve hundred boxes on the initial launch of Exclusivo. We're now an initial Muestra release is coming like right around six thousand boxes. So we sell way more of everything in the beginning than we've ever done before. That's also because when we launched Exclusivo, we probably had what? A hundred accounts, and now we have you know maybe five hundred accounts. Even the five hundred's a lie because of the five hundred. Maybe three hundred and fifty of them are like really seriously what I consider turning accounts where they're ordering every whatever their cycle is. Some retailers it's every month, other retailers it's every two months. Some retailers do every three months, but we're we're in their turn rotation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when you have you know an extra. You know, when you have three to four times more regular turning accounts, it just makes the numbers just bigger across the across the spectrum. So you said though, there's no regu- such thing as like a regular production score. Everything's limited, right? But those are still more limited. You don't make those as many times in a year as, let's say, a. No, we, we right? make them all the time. But what we do is we just have very few pairs making them. Okay, so yeah, so we limit we limit the pairs. The only thing that's kind of like stop and go. Unicorns are stop and go, and then all of the limited production things, the Don Dharmas and the U-Boats and Red Meat Lovers, those are stop and go production. Right. Okay. Right? And so, and look, when it's something small, 
where there's 5,000 cigars, well, that'll literally be, you know, that'll be maybe just three weeks worth of production, one pair. You know what I mean? Four weeks production, one pair. That's what you're getting out of that one single pair. And just for one month out of an entire year that they focus on it. And when you take something like you bought this year, where 80% of the box is seven by fifties, well, then that pair worked for about three weeks to make U-boats. And then a separate pair worked for about a week to make the torpedoes. Right. Because they only needed 20% torpedoes. You know what I mean? So you only needed about a thousand cigars, right. you know, thousand, two thousand. Yeah. No, about a thousand, right? Two, there's only 500 boxes. Yeah. A yep. thousand cigars. So, I mean, so those things are stop and go, but at this point, all the Westers have dedicated pairs, but there's only one pair making the Lanceros. So one that's pair. Good. That's yeah. good. That's good. But that's one of the reasons why it ends up being consistent. Right. Because you have the same people showing yeah. Monday through Friday. That's good. Yeah. This is the size they make and this is the blend they make. And it just ends up becoming just better over time because they just get better at their jobs. Is that your least favorite coop? Um, yes, it it is my least favorite, but you know, it is, but Steve, have you, like you tapped into, obviously, you know, we always hear that the storyline Sarah was on sale, but obviously you tapped into a segment of the market with that. It's clear from what you're telling me. Yeah. Because I do yeah, see that cigar around. Yeah. I, I also wonder if it's getting spillover just because if all the older Westers are selling equally, is it because the guy that gets introduced to the current Mulestra, which would have been on Stolen Valor, does he then backtrack and go, well, oh, all the other ones are different. Let me try them. You know what I mean? So I wonder if that's the reason why those sell is because you're getting consumers that are coming back to them. I, I don't I don't think that unlike like a little brulee or a Miki Ruta blue Toro, I don't think there's people that their daily smoke is a Western to Saka Naka Tamale. You know what I mean? I, I think it is treated as the price point, the packaging. The, I think it's treated as a, a unique special occasion kind of cigar for yeah. most. I, I think that's the way it's treated. Now, do I know some consumers? I know some consumers that love Naka Tamales and they smoke a Naka Tamale every day, but the number of people that I hear that from is so rare. You know, it just it's just not a common occurrence. Well, here's my odd take on the Moestra. So the exclusive the first time I had it, I didn't like it. And then I sat down with you in an interview at IPCPR that year. And that was the cigar you handed me. And I was like, okay. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. And I I was I was blown away by it. And we were actually talking about it in that interview. This was a few years ago now. Now it had it an extra you had an extra year of age on it and i was like okay so i i wanted to know if that was a fluke or something so i started going back to it i really really enjoy very that cigar. Nuanced. it's a nuanced cigar yeah, yeah it, it's, it's it is very mild cigar. like you said yeah, yeah. but it's really good it's a good it's good i think it works really well being milder and I say, yeah it's super mild but it's good like that how, how do you beat through the noise of a much heavier field of new blends you know what i mean that just give you so much more bolder flavors and so much more high notes. You know what I mean? It's kind of, it's a really, it's a challenging kind of thing. Yeah. You know, when you're, when you're, when you're competing with what's out there, that's given in any single one or two year cycle, because almost everything is way louder than an exclusivo. 
I mean, even in my own portfolio, everything is pretty much louder than an exclusivo. I would argue that even a brulee is louder than an exclusivo. Well, I think, I mean, well, also, it's also like the one that, I mean, I'm, I mean, honestly, Steve, I mean, it's the most vanilla name, right? Out of all of them. Exclusivo. Naka Tamale has a story, right? Right. Now, Leave Me Hell Alone has a story. Unstolen Valor has a story. The Witch has a story. Uh, Krakatoa has a story. The Unicorn has a story. You know, like, they all have these stories. And, and well, Exclusivo kind of gets lumped into the Moisture to Saka story, like the group as a whole, but it doesn't have its own individualistic. I mean, that's just my take on it. You know, and part of that, too, is my own failing of not even understanding in the beginning where I was going to take Muestra. You know what I mean? As time on, I start to better understand what I should be doing. Like, for example, at some point, I don't know when, because it's going to depend on production flow through, but I'm going to take the original Sobre Mesa line and I'm going to trim some sizes out. I'm going to give it a secondary name. Okay. Because it's very hard to explain. Well, this is the original Sobre Mesa makes it really hard for a retailer. This yeah. is the this is the OG sober. You know what I mean? You got to think about yeah. it from a retailer perspective. Yeah. So you have sober mesa, and you have sober mesa brulee. So how do you describe the other sober mesa? And then the other thing too is that the brand grows. I'm finding that using the as much as I love the you know El Americano and Cervantes Fino and Torpedo Tiempo and all these unique names for the front marks. For the typical consumer, they just, they don't care. They hate it. The retailers hate it. They would much rather be called Toro, Robusto, Double Corona. They would much, or number XYZ, so they know that the number equals, you know what I mean? It's simpler for them. uh, And it's simpler for the retailer. You know, yeah, when it's the hot, buzzy new product that's released in 2015, then yeah, people pay attention to these front mark names. But when you're looking at a brand seven, eight years into the future, those names can actually hurt the brand. The only time it helps is when it's something that really takes off as being unique. You know what I mean? Like a unicorn, you know, like a brulee blue. You know what I mean? But when it's in the middle of a regular line, I actually find those names are not actually the best names for the wider market. But that's something that I've come to the conclusion of. And you'll notice as time has gone on, I've changed my naming convention. It's Sober Mesa Brulee Toro. It's Mi Rita Tricky Traca number 552. You know what I mean? Number 448. It's mm-hmm. very apparent what the size is from the name. Whereas when you call it, you know, whatever, Todos Las Dias, uh, I don't even remember what the fucking things were named anymore. You know what I mean? It's it's like it's the, not El, the El Americano. Let's go back to the Sober Mesa. Yeah, the El Americano. It's not as easy. In my head, it makes sense because a six by fifty two is a classic American size. So the fact that it's called the American makes sense. Yeah, makes perfect sense. But that makes sense to us being in cigars. You know what I mean? To the level that we are, it just like you say to an average consumer, El Americano, and like, what the fuck is that? Tell him it's a Toro. He knows what you're talking about. Right. It's almost a six by 52. He knows what that is. When you say El Americano, you're now asking him to do an extra level of whatever to get to that point. 
you know, I want to go back there to Steve's point, and he asked a question, and this is actually something I was going to talk to you about possibly doing a show on it, and it's usage patterns when you smoke a cigar, right? So the Exclusivo being a milder cigar, not heavier, mm-hmm. I tend, when I light that cigar up, I, I tend to be in relaxed mode with that. You know, I, I'm not doing a review. I'm not really focused on the TV. I'm not doing my day job. But, you know, I find a heavier cigar, no matter what it is, is something I can kind of multitask with a little better. But I'm not going to light up an Exclusivo to multitask. And, and it doesn't make sense to do that. So I, I think there's a, a pattern. And I think there is a point where you can light up an Exclusivo and appreciate the nuances of that cigar. That, that's just me, personally. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think also the price also kind of dictates. Sure, that. absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think that, I think if you're smoking an eight nine dollar cigar, that's a hey. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing whatever I'm doing, and then it's going to go at thirty two times. And I'm going to relight yeah. it. And it's okay, if I if I'm lighting up something that's pushing up into the twenty dollar price point, you really kind of want to say, okay, let me. I either want to be really chilling with it, or I want to really be focusing on it. Yeah, right. But I certainly don't want to be multitasking yeah. with that because that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, to me, I love the Gordito when it came out in the, in the Micarita because it's it's an hour long maybe smoke for me at max. I, I don't like to smoke when I'm doing video calls for my day job. So it gives me time to smoke that in between, which is to me, it's like the perfect thing as well. But even if I was multitasking, I could still get a lot of enjoyment out of that. Right. And it's not expensive either. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's why, like, um, I mean, I think that's why I enjoy like the Cervantes Fino. Um, uh the uh, the short Churchill and the Silver Mesa, like it, it provides those kind of those outlets that we're talking. It does, about, yeah, so. it does. But uh, this, uh, we're going to go into our next segment here. We're going to kind of break this up. We got a little bit of fun, so we are uh, uh, we are going to go back a little bit in Steve's past with this uh, this next uh, this next segment, which is our United Cigar Presidential Trivia Question. Uh, okay. So. Um, and uh, of course, this is always brought to you by United Cigars, featuring La Giana Havana and distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabay, Byron, and now Alfonso lines from Selected Tobacco. Smoke one today and start living United. So, uh, see, this has changed up a little bit since the last time you were here. We've uh, we've changed the segment to uh, something that's a little bit to my liking. Um, it's pres- it's around presidential trivia. I've, I have a great affinity for uh, presidential history. Um, I love it. I think it's I think it's incredibly fascinating. I think these are some of the most fascinating men in in our um, in our nation's history. And there's all these these really cool nuances within it. And so, uh, some of them actually share your history. And I said we were going to go back to your past because. The original time you from the original time that you actually came onto my show originally, we actually talked a lot about uh, your time in the Navy. So you are, you know, you are a, f- a former uh, serviceman um, and sailor of the United States Navy, and uh, again, we really do appreciate your service. Um, and uh, there are there are presidents, uh, for, uh, former presidents that have also served in the United States Navy. So here's the question for you, Steve. It is multiple choice, so don't freak out. How many U.S. presidents have served in the U.S. Navy? Is it A, 2, B, 6, or C, 10? Mm. So let's think about this. You got Kennedy. You got Johnson. You got Ford. You got George H.W. Bush. Carter was on a nuclear submarine, right? So I'm up to five. What were my choices? A2, B6, C10. I'm going with six because I can think of five. 
And Coop, you want to chime in here at all? I'm going to go six. I'm going to go six as well. You are correct, both of you. So, so here's the here's the really unique thing. Okay, the United States Navy did not have a representative in the White House until the 20th uh, century. Kennedy was the absolute first. Kennedy would have been the first, right? Kennedy was the the first. Who's the one I missed? So it was the the Navy went on a run, Steve. Kennedy, Johnson, which you named. Nixon was in the Navy. Oh, Nixon. I didn't know that one. Yeah, he was a commander in the United States. He was actually the the highest ranking of all all presidents. Yeah, so Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon, Ford, Carter, you're correct on that, submarine commander, and George H.W. Bush, who enlisted in the military right out of high school, went into flight school, and was is still um, the youngest ace to ever uh, be uh, a pilot in the United States in the United States military. Uh, I mean, pretty pretty accomplished individual. But uh, Kennedy was the first. Wow, Kennedy was the first. Yeah, no sailors. So I mean, I, I was thinking it was someone in the 1800s that might have done it. You know, well, Garfield. Well, yeah, sailors were always ne'er do wells. Let's get yeah. Garfield yeah. was in the army. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So that, but that, that's really interesting. Well, if you think about, if you think about this, right. 19th, uh, 20th century warfare was the first time that the Navy was really highlighted in terms of, you know, in terms of, you know, press, if you will. Right. From up until that point, I mean, think about all the United States servicemen that served in the military, uh, that served uh, in the military. They served in the army, right? George Washington was the commander in chief. He was the commander of the U.S. Army, right? Um, the first one, right? Um, you know, a lot of other servicemen as well, like, you know, Taylor, uh, Zachary Taylor, Andrew Jackson Army, right? Ulysses S. Grant, like their famous campaigns, the people that put them, the the things that put them in the public eye were all about, I mean, I mean, think about there ever been somebody that was in the marine corps that became president i don't think so zero well not air force either not air force either yeah Yeah. i knew not air force yeah so yeah it's 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 uh it's army and navy but yeah i I mean the two the two oldest the two oldest branches right but i guess also part of that would have to do with the academies right i mean when you think about it i mean and no offense to my friends at the air force academy but when you think about prestigious academies more people think about Annapolis and West Point, right? Right. Those they are kind of the two. Yeah, the two more prestigious categories. Categories. I mean, the academies. I mean, yeah, and they they uh, they graduate more cadets than those two academies graduate more cadets than. Uh, and, and I mean, think about. It. I mean, and I mean, even the U.S. Marines go to the Naval Academy too. So it's that's, that's another interesting stat. Yeah. But. All right. Yeah, I, th- I thought that yeah, was. I thought that was that one. That's amazing. <laughs> Maybe I have a hope in hell here. <laughs> I really do well at these trivia questions. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Nick Nixon being the highest, the highest ranking of all those. I thought that was an interesting one too. Uh, yeah, it- I knew it wasn't two because of Kennedy, Bush, and um, and Carter. So I, that's why I figured it was either six or ten. Carter would have probably been on his way to an, a very prestigious naval career. Uh, but his father got sick and he went back home. That's when he went back home to the family yep. farm, yep. settled the affairs and stuff. And he resigned his commission in the Navy. So this was post-war. This is like in the 1950s. Yeah. He probably would have, he probably would have beaten out Nixon at some point. Uh, shoot. He may not even have gotten into politics. Like I'm, like I said, he was, he was on his way to a pretty distinguished Naval career, which is interesting. Um, 
but yeah, the uh, yeah J uh, Kennedy being the first. That was one of the <coughs> one of the one of the fun tidbits about the U.S. Navy and uh, and presidential history and everything. So um, I'm trying to go back because I when I when I when I re realized that uh, as I was kind of putting together tonight's show and everything, I want to kind of go back and see if John Paul Jones ever got into politics or if he stayed out of it. You know, because he was he was a pretty infamous individual as well, and I don't know if he ever got into that realm or if he just kind of stayed away from it. So it'll be an have no idea. Um, well, Steve, when you when you uh, when you decided to enlist, I mean, what uh, I mean, was there a reason why the Navy sounded more attractive to you than other branches? Or yeah, I had um, I had hoped to get picked up. I wanted to go to the Naval Academy but I was a slacker in high school. So I didn't have, I didn't have the accomplishments necessary to justify, but I had the SAT score. Um, I had, uh, I had gotten, I, I don't know what this is a scale 2400 now. So no, it's going, yeah. it's gone. It went, no, they went back to 16. They changed. Oh, they it. went back to 16. Yeah, they went back know. to 16. Yeah. So I, I had a 1580 on my SAT. Oh shit, Steve. So what I was going to do, my intent was that, they take 75 enlisted members each year, at least back when I enlisted, to go into a Naval Academy prep course. It's a one-year-long program to then try to get 75 people out of the enlisted ranks to go into the Naval Academy. I don't know if they still do this, but at the time they were. And that was what my pathway was going to be to get to the Naval Academy. At least that's what I hoped my pathway was going to be. Um and ultimately, I ended up getting accepted for the prep course. Doesn't mean I would have passed it. Doesn't mean I would have gotten in the academy. But I ended up marrying Cindy, which made me ineligible. Because at that time, you weren't allowed to be married and be at the Naval Academy. I mean, you know, now you can be married. Now you can be a woman. But back in the early 80s, you had to, uh, you had to be single, single man was the only way you could get into the Naval Academy. They weren't accepting any married people at all at that point, which made me ineligible for the program. So I gave up my Naval Academy dream for my wife. It's all her fault. <laughs> um, despite that beautiful tribute, Steve, I'm still stuck on 1580. Jesus. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I mean, I, with that score, I mean, no, I mean, I mean, this is the the early '80s we're talking. About. No, I, I know you said you were a slacker in high school, but no, no Ivy Leagues came and knocking. Um, I didn't apply. Um, I had uh, I had some I had some scholarships in the state of Texas, um, but I really I really wanted to go to the academy. That was what I wanted to do, and so I just didn't care. Wow. Yeah, it's probably the best decision I ever made, to be honest with you. Because the experience I gained from being enlisted in the military and never actually ever going to college, I think ultimately benefited me greater than had I gone to college. Wow. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm blown away. I mean, yeah. I, I, I know you're a smart man, Steve. I just, I'm, you know, if you, if you had given me a multiple choice question on that, I probably would have failed it. Really? <laughs> I don't know how to take that. <laughs> no, like I said, I, I I know you're smart. I know you're smart. Like I mean, that 1580. That's that's. I mean, yeah. I, I know it was on I, my first go around too. I didn't even study. Wow. Shit. I I I had to get 1200 on my third time. I had to go three times with it. 
And I really had to work to get that 1200 because I really tanked it the first time. I got like 960. Yeah, I was the kid that was in all, well, they didn't have AP classes in high school when I was in. It was called honors. But I was in all honors classes getting a D plus C minus. I was just the quintessential underperformer doing just enough that they didn't want to kick me out because I added so much to class, but I just did the bare, like I would look at, okay, homework was worth 15% of, this, the, of your grade. I just write that 15% off. I'm not doing any homework, right? So I just instantly go, okay, the best I can do in this class is a B because I'm never going to do any homework whatsoever. So, you know, oh, well, where am I in the year? If I don't do this, if I don't do this paper, okay, how's that going to affect my grade? Oh, it'll drop at eight points by not doing the paper. I'm not doing the paper. I'm, you know what I mean? I was the worst. The master yeah. strategist. I, um, <laughs> I think I'll put it up more to laziness than anything else. It's really quite pathetic, but that, that's, I, I, I did not, I did not make good use of my high school. In fact, I think, uh, I think when uh, one day my youngest son got to see my high school transcript that he was pissed. <laughs> I cannot believe that you're riding my ass because I got an A minus instead of an A. You know what I mean? And here you are with Mr. C minus and you know advanced trigonometry and calculus. The class, it's the class. But I was the same. I, I was the same way with the homework. If, unless the homework was a was a make or break, I I considered it optional. Yeah. Yeah. I. I did the first test, uh, the first I did, I took it twice. The first time I went, I didn't study at all, scored what I scored. And I was like, okay, well, let me, let me go ahead and study. So I studied for, I think in a pretty, pretty hard. I went pretty hard after it for like six weeks and I went back and took it again. And I only went 10 points higher. I was like, well, this is a crock of shit. So <laughs> really didn't, it really didn't, it really didn't benefit me at all, but and I, 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 you know, I used to think my score actually was pretty impressive until I just talked to Steve a couple minutes ago. So, um. <laughs> I was just good at taking tests. You know how that works, right? There's certain look. There's certain things I was really good at. I was good at taking tests. I've always been good at speaking. I've always yeah. been a good public speaker, um, and I've always been really good at extemporaneous speaking. Uh, in addition, I'm good at oratory too, but extemporaneous, off the cuff. It's always been really, really good for me. Um, I'm really good at analytical thinking. Um, I'm really terrible at things that require a lot of rote memorization. So like things like organic chemistry, that's a disaster of a topic for me. You know what I mean? That That's one that, I mean, if obviously I never took an organic chemistry course because I never was trying to get into med school and college. But if I had been in that class, I would have scored a 12. You know what I mean? It's just... <laughs> I just know that that's just nowhere, just not in my wheelhouse. Um, I've always been really bad at, uh, look, everybody knows this. I'm terrible at languages. I've always been really bad at language. I'm, I'm fine speaking in my native tongue, but understanding other languages, picking up other dialects, all of that's always been really, really difficult. So I, I think it's like anything in life. I mean, I'm, so some people may look at a 1580 and go, wow, that's amazing. I'm way more impressed with a person that picks up a musical instrument because I can't like a kazoo is like literally a bridge too far for me. I mean, that, that is what we're talking about. I mean, just not, not, not any sense whatsoever of music in any way whatsoever. You'd be impressed with my wife, Steve. She took, she picked up my, my son's like 
those toy flutes, those like metal flutes that they get, you get it like any five and dime, you know, like tourist trap, tourist right. trap. And she's like, just like knocking out, like she took it, uh, picked it up, started like blowing it, playing with the holes a little bit. And she like, you know, hit out Cantown races like you wouldn't believe. Like just off the cuff. Like it was crazy. Like two minutes in. It's nuts. Yeah. Like I mean, you, meet, you meet those people, they hear something and they pick up an instrument. They can just start playing and mm-hmm. blows me away. I just, I, I don't even know how they get there. Yeah. Well, she started yeah. playing saxophone and then she ended up playing French horn. You know, she could play, she could play trumpet, cornet, bassoon. So she went between reed, double reed, brass. I mean, right. it was nuts. And, and she sings too, which is just insane. <laughs> Um, which is just crazy. So, um, all right. Well, that was our presidential. That was a really nice uh, post discussion on yep. on uh, Steve's uh, testing accomplishments. But that was uh, that was our United uh, Presidential Trivia segment, which is always brought to you by United Cigars, featuring Lajian Havana and distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Groflo, and the highly acclaimed Atabay, Byron, and now Alfonso lines from Select Tobacco. Smoke one today. Start living. United. So uh, this next segment is uh, something else we felt we had fun with, and this this marks the two year anniversary of something that we started here uh, two years ago. Uh, Coop, you were actually a guest on that show two years ago. Yep. Uh, where we launched this, and this is our charity segment, and uh, and uh, so we have two charities tonight, uh, and uh, one that you've got uh, probably that you've got the, the banner behind you, and then yep, one that I've featured uh, a number of times as well. Um, but I'll give you the honor here, Coop. What's uh, uh, talk to us a little bit about what's going on in uh, with Sepsis Alliance. And uh, we, I understand that uh, there's actually been a couple of developments with your involvement with it as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've stepped up as far as um, some financial levels I've done with it. Um, and my goal is to do some more, I would say, awareness with people with it. Um, suppo- I, and it's for folks who don't know, I had Septis four years ago. And it was actually about four years ago around this time when the initial symptoms came around, right? And why I say this is because I didn't really know much about septis then, if hardly anything. And as these symptoms were developing, um, I didn't know what was going on. Um, and had I known, I probably wouldn't have gotten as sick as I got because this is septis is something that you catch early. But septis is not a contagious disease or anything like that. It's a condition. And basically what happens is uh, it's when your body has an infection, your body's natural response is to fight the infection. But what happens is the more aggressive the infection, the more aggressive your body um, fights it. But what happens in some cases, and I had a blood infection. I had an infection in the bloodstream, which spreads rapidly. Uh, What happens is... When, when, it's, when the body reacts aggressively, it could short circuit. And that's what started happening to me is it was short circuiting. That affects, that starts to affect your organs and stuff like that. And it creates a very, very dangerous situation. This happens a lot of times when people get surgeries. You hear of complications after surgery. Well, those complications are typically septus. Well, like an infection is developed. And again, th- those complications are, you know, the body fighting it. Um, and it's, it's very serious. Um, it is treatable, which is the good news. And it's treatable with antibiotics. If they can get, if they can get the, um, 
infection out, you know, then your body's not going to be short circuiting as much, but the further along it is, the better. And like I said, there's so, but there's awareness signs and that's what the important thing is. So the Septus Alliance is really, it's an organization that is committed to awareness and spreading awareness of this. Um, and, uh, it was founded by a dentist whose daughter died of Septus and he, uh, wanted to make people aware of it. Um, and, and they do it through a variety of educational materials testimonials I'm, I'm working on a testimonial for them of my story with it because um you know again and if you share those stories it um it, it, it creates the awareness now how do we create the like the, this stuff doesn't come free to create this awareness stuff they do need funding to do that and every time i come on here i say two things i i, I one believe in this is a very good thing to support financially uh, if you go to septus.org um, you can see all the free resources that are available to everybody um, just to learn about um, awareness. And what I encourage everyone to do at a minimum tonight is, look, I'm not asking you, I'm not going to come out here and say, donate, donate, but I think you should. Um, but the other thing is just familiarize yourself with some of these things. So, you know, and, and, and it's free material and at a minimum, you can just be aware of something's going on um, that you might not be familiar with, with your body and uh, or whatever. Or a loved one, you know, if the loved one's saying they're sick or whatever, go go and do that. Um, because again, it's it's something that if it's treatable and, and um, you know, it could be caught. But uh, at the same time, it gets to a point where you have to be hospitalized, like I was, and you don't know if you're getting out of the hospital because it, it got pretty far along. I'll just say this: they told me I was the luckiest guy in the world because I had a heart murmur, and that blood infection should have spread to the heart, and they had to go scope my heart when I was in there. And how and they told me how that didn't spread to the heart. Like I was the luckiest guy in the world. So maybe another week it would have been another story. So um, just check it out, septus.org. Um, you could donate there. I think Barry, you could donate through the Facebook page as well. Mm -hmm. Yep. So you can go do that as well. And uh, every little bit counts um, with it. So um, and it, like I said, I'm, I'm I'm stepping up my involvement from a financial standpoint. But another thing is I just want to start talking more awareness to people about it. And I'm working on a testimonial right now, which has the whole details of my story, which I won't go to tonight, but I think all septic survivors have a story and uh, there's some celebrities who have had it and they've shared their stories already with this. By the way, the last thing is this is not a huge charity. This is not like the American cancer society or, you know, red cross or anything like that. It, it's, it's a small, it's a very small charity, but I think they do good work. This is where yeah. I'm going to get it. You had, a question. you had a question, right? Yeah, I do. It, isn't it sepsis with an S? Not with yeah, a, it is. It, I'd probably say it wrong. Bear, Bear should be correcting yeah, my pronunciation. I think, think you'd have to go to, I think sepsis would be S-E-P-S-I-S. Yeah. yeah, sepsis alliance. Yeah. Septus, septus right. alliance. Yep, septus. This, this is where my 1580 comes because doesn't that come from the Greek word to like rot or decay? Yeah. Isn't yep. that what it means in it? comes from like the original Latin form of like sepium, I think, right? Yeah. The original origin. And I, think I believe you're right on that. I think it's septicema is the actual name of the disease. That's where you're getting the T from because it's in septicema. It, it's actually septicema is the, the condition. And then septic right. shock is the reaction of the short yeah. circuit. Yeah. Uh, septic shock would be the reaction. Okay. Got it. Yeah. But if you're looking for the organization, I think it's S-E-P-S-I-S. -S 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 -S. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's in the chat too. So. Yep. And it's on my back thing, but I'm blocking it. Uh, like I said, and I know a lot of people have been really generous in the past and, you know, um, and I, I always will talk, it's the one charity I've really gotten behind uh, over the past few years, because, again, if I can help one person out, 
um, you know, maybe it won't be too late. And there's a couple of people I've had, I've advised them. Hey, Oh, the other thing is if you feel you're sick, right. Um, the way they kind of determine if you have like, except it's through a blood culture. So if you feel like you're going to an ER room and they're not like, just, Hey, do the blood culture on me <laughs> and they'll do it. Um, and, that, and that's actually what happened in my cases. My wife said, go do the blood culture. She knew to do that. And it, it came out positive. So it's not something that like a regular blood test will sometimes pick up. So, well, it was your, it was your wife that actually noticed something, right? Like you weren't feeling like your best. You knew you weren't feeling good, but she was the one that kind of identified like no, something's really wrong here. Yeah. She, we went to go see Creed two and, you know, I don't go to the movies a lot. Right. But I wanted to go see Creed two and she could see, I was not, I was very uncomfortable and not feeling well during that, that movie. And right after that, she uh, drove me to the ER room. She said, you're going to the ER room. And normally it's the opposite way around. I'm the hypochondriac, but in this case I was, I'm like, no, nah, I'm just like tired or whatever. But, um, and, and, and fatigue is a big thing by the way, uh, with this. Uh, and I think when I was in London four years ago is when the onset of this came on, when I started feeling tired for no reason. So then it just, yeah. And it was like by Thanksgiving, I was in the hospital. So, well, you're tired for a reason. Coop. you go, 24 seven. Well, I, I have, I have improved my sleep habits a lot because of that. Um, that changed the sleep is a way your body kind of recharges itself and you build up immunity with that. So, you know, that was not hurt when I was doing a sleep is optional thing. Not a good thing to do, especially when you can do that. Maybe when you're 25, not when you're 55. So. So um, I posted it in the chat. I, really encourage you guys to, uh, to do some diving into this. This is a great organization, yep. as Coop is mentioning. Yep. It's a small organization that uh, brings a lot of awareness to to something that does claim the life of a lot of people and 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 puts people it put people's lives in danger. I mean, you you go into the hospital for one reason, and uh, you know you end up in septic shock. I mean, there's just so yep. many different ways. Yeah, I saw your I saw your cup on the picture. Yeah, Team Sepsis. Yeah. So uh, sepsis, Team Sepsis. Except this, yeah, <laughs> I, I will say, you know, I butcher pronunciation, but I shouldn't butcher that it's, one. It's not even Spanish, Coop. No, come on. I know, right? <laughs> so, um, but uh, the, this was a, this was something that we started to, uh, two years ago. Um, you know, this was a project that I started two years ago, and it was something that I sat down with my wife, and I, I wanted to do, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something with the show that was a little different, and I, I was, and, um, and, uh, it, you know, my wife said, you know, you always have a, you always have a heart and mind for charity. Well, why don't you start, you know, talking about charities that matter to you? And I was like, yeah, that's, a, that sounds really great, but that's also really kind of self-serving a little bit. And I, so I thought about it some more and kind of ran this idea by a few people, including her. And so the idea of having my guests pick some and, 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 and still allow, you know, featuring like charities that I like, which I'll talk the about worst when it comes to this, I, I have nothing to do with charitable contributions. The way it works in our house is Sunny and you, I agree. You appeared on the show though. Yeah, we, we agree. We agree at the beginning of the year how much money we're going to spend. And then she spends it. And then ultimately, if she wants to spend more than what we agreed to, she says, Hey, I'm thinking about donating this to that. And I go, Yeah. Cause I, how am I going to say no? Cause I just end up being a total asshole. So I always end up having to say yes to almost pretty much anything. So that's how that's how charitable contributions work in the soccer household. Cindy is the one that cares. I'm the one that just ends up poning over the money. I, but it gets hey, can, I make, can I make another little quick statement on this? Um, I don't think this has ever been said on the show before. So you do these charities every week, Bear. Okay, 
mm-hmm. uh, with different people and there's a lot of different charities and there's great causes. One thing that I'm, I've recently learned about from the Septus Alliance is that a lot of employers from people's day jobs will match contributions. Mm-hmm. So if you're donating here, you know, also find out if your employer is willing to match a donation or something like that. Um, you'd be surprised. Uh, and not every charity's on there. And you can tell them about a particular charity and get it on there. So it's another. Yeah, that's kind of the way it works for us too, because you again, you have a budget set aside. Yeah. That, like, hey, is being dedicated for charitable contributions. So ultimately, you as an employer, if you have that in your budget as a as a line item, that's one of the reasons why companies will match it. You know what yeah. I mean? Yep. Mm-hmm. Because they intend on donating whatever that number may be, $5,000, $25,000, $100,000 a year, big companies, millions. But it, it, that doesn't surprise me that employers would match those type of donations. Yep. Most sites have a kind of a quick and easy search, too, so it's pretty easy. Yep. You know, um, but the, the charity that I wanted to feature tonight is one that I've brought up a considerable amount of uh, time as well in the last two years. and. I've done it across different platforms and everything. It's a, it's a, it's an organization that I'm very passionate about, just canines for warriors. Um, you know, um, you know, as we were talking about earlier, earlier with Steve's service uh, to our country, I'm a son of a veteran. Everyone in my audience knows this. I take it, you know, I take, uh, you know, I take the military service uh, incredibly serious. Um, and I'm, I'm very grateful to people like Steve and, uh, and to the men and women around the country who continue to serve and, and have served in the past. And, and uh, this country doesn't do enough for its veterans. You know, I've, I've said that very, very often. It's something that I still uh, stand behind. And um, it's, it's, it's actually, it's actually embarrassing um, uh, the level of treatment that our veterans get. So it's organizations like Canines for Warriors and other fantastic organizations as well that, that really, that really serve our veterans. I mean, even one that, you know, that's very closely tied to this industry, you know, operations for cigars for warriors storm Bowen does an incredible job. Um, his, the charity that he helped found and continues to help run today uh, is one of the most, uh, you know, there's a scoring system about the integrity of charities and operation cigars for warriors is, is, is always gets a high rating from, from them. Um, the name's escaping me at the moment, but canines for warriors is something that takes two of my passions, my, my love of country and uh, my dedication to veterans um, and also, um, and also, uh, our man's best friend, which is dogs. Um, this organization trains and pairs dogs with, uh, with veterans who suffer from a wide variety. This could be uh, PT, everything from PTSD, as you would imagine to disabilities. Right. And, uh, and sometimes they're just uh, simple companion dogs as, as people would say. Uh, but there's also, um, you know, ones that they that are, that these people are dependent on because of their disability and everything. So there's a wide variety of, uh, of animals that get assigned to, uh, to veterans and everything. It's a fantastic, like I said, it's a fantastic organization. It's one that I believe in tremendously. I've donated uh, money to them. I've, I've helped raise awareness for them. Um, you know, I, t- I encourage you to scope them out. I'm going to put them in here in the chat here in just a second. Um, and just read some of the stories. Um, and w- one of the stories that I'll, I'll share really briefly is, is that, you know, you know, one of my father, my father's also, as I mentioned, is a veteran and, you know, he's, he's really sick right now. I've talked about his, his battle with uh, Alzheimer's and, uh, and, uh, and uh, early onset dementia. Um, And, you know, where we noticed where he went extremely downhill was when we lost our family dog. Um, You know, our dog, he passed away. uh, They had to put him down 
And that's um, my father's health deteriorated very quickly. And the reason that they associated that, that to the passing of our family dog was that um, our dog gave him purpose. And it gave him something to do every day. And so his mind stayed focused on that because he, you know, he, you know, my, my mother and father are empty nesters. He didn't have any other responsibilities. He's retired, doesn't have a job any longer. And so his mind was focused on that. And when that responsibility left, um, you know, so this disease started to really, really take over. And it's not to say that he wouldn't have gotten to the point that he is now with or without the dog, but the, but, um, these animals give our veterans purpose. And when you have purpose in your life, it's, it's, it, 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 it really does well for those particular individuals. So whether they're dependent on them for a disability or simply dependent on them for a companion. And I know a lot of that gets a bad rap these days because people talk about companion animals and they think that that's just like a cop out, you know? Um, but in the case of our veterans, it, it really makes an incredible difference. So uh, like I said, I'm going to share it here in the chat. I encourage you guys to consider, uh, just learn more about it. It's a great organization, but I encourage you all to donate to both of these fantastic organizations tonight. So um, here, here I'm going to dwell into something that I shouldn't. I don't, do you guys remember, I, I know you all know the movie Starship Troopers, right? Um, but before there was the cheesy B-grade Starship Troopers movie, there was the Heinlein book, Starship Troopers. It won the Hugo Award in 1960, um, but it was considered a very controversial book. Um, and the reason it was considered controversial was that it basically put forward the premise that all citizens should have to serve in the military, that it's in the best interest of society that if everybody has to have a common experience and serve in some capacity in the military, that that will make them better citizens. And in the book, it was actually connecting. You wouldn't have the right to vote as a citizen if you didn't do military service. And that made it a very controversial story. But I, I think that you see this in a lot of places. I mean, obviously, you see it in countries like Afghanistan and Uzbekistan and in North Korea, mandatory conscription in the military. But you also see it in places like Norway, Sweden, um, Austria, uh, Switzerland. And, you know, over the years, it's kind of it's sometimes military service or it's civilian service. Mm -hmm. Right. But I, I think that that's a, I think I think that's something that makes a big difference in the way people function in society. If they have that common experience um, now, is that possible in the United States at this point? It probably isn't. Um, I don't even know how that could ever go over. But I, I think it's something that uh, definitely I think it definitely would do a lot. For for I think it I think it provides a much more um, cohesive experience personally, and I don't know why it made me think about that. But you talking about the military just made me think about Starship Troopers. No, I, I, I mean, maybe I can have more scotch. <laughs> I, I I mean I agree with that. It's it's very it's very hypocritical for me to to kind of sit here and pontificate about serving in the military when I opted not to. Um. But I think I, I think you have a pretty valid point there, Steve. I think a, a, a type of either civilian service or military service would would bode well for every individual if it was a mandatory if it was a mandatory act. Because I think it would the the idea of service and the idea of charity and why it's like why it's so important to me, uh, you know, on an individual level is that you know it, it you know for for you know 
90% of my, you know, for 95% of my existence, I'm focused on my family and myself, you know, I mean, say what you want, you know, about, about that. That's, but most, true like that's, that's true of most of everybody. Again, you can call it yeah. selfish, you can call it whatever it is, but that's the reality of everybody for the most part. And, um, and what I've learned about doing this, this practice over the last couple of years is that I find the things that matter to people, you know, over the scope of this time have been really interesting because there's a wide variety. Some people come with cigars for warriors. I've, we featured that a couple of times and that's great. It helps the industry. It helps our, you know, it helps our veterans and I, you know, I'm all for it. Uh, but I mean, the, the, the different types of charities that have been coming. We've, 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 we've talked about hunger. We've talked about education. We've talked about, you know, we've talked about um, other, you know, animal service. We've talked about other military things and, and, you know, the issues that, that have gotten brought up on the show over the last two years are as wide and varied um, as you can possibly imagine, which is pretty interesting when we kind of pigeonhole cigar people into, into a certain part of a spectrum. Right. And I'm not going to get political for any, you know, tonight at all, but they, they tend to, they, we tend to get lumped into this, this, this part of a spectrum that, you know, makes us like minded in a lot of different ways. And that I, I, what I found from this exercise is that nothing could be further from the truth. We all care about a lot of different things, a lot of varied things. And, and it's, it's, it sparked some very interesting discussion and it's really raised awareness from some really great issues. And I think Coop for, you know, Coop, just to give you credit here, I think sepsis Alliance is probably when, well, you know, while certain diseases have gotten featured, uh, and medical, you know, you know, medical handicaps and other items have gotten featured right. on this segment. I think that's probably the most unique thing because, again, I think that speaks to sepsis is that most people don't talk about it. Most people don't know what it is. No, I mean, I had really no idea what what it was. I mean, I heard of blood infections and stuff, but you know, I didn't realize that there are these conditions that the body can go through. Uh, and that's why, like, if I had been aware of some of these things, I probably wouldn't have waited four weeks to get medical attention. And I was lucky at that is what I was told, but there were just things that, you know, you know, I should have paid attention to better. You, you should always pay attention to your body, but I tend to be a little hypochondriac sometimes too. So that's why I just ignored it, you know, but little I know if I, you know, when I started reading the education material, I'm like, wow, you know, this is of benefit, you know, to, to know. And it's really easy to consume education material, by the way. So it's like at the, it's like at a third grade level, so you, everyone can understand it. You don't have to read like a, a medical journal to understand these things. So they do a good job with it. So the one time you opted to ignore it, it became something serious. Yeah, I'm, try, I'm not true. trying to laugh at you, Cooper. No, just, but it's, it's very true. It's very yeah. true. It's yeah. very true. I think you know. I think, and I think the same could be said for a lot of people. In the last two years, people are a lot much more aware of symptoms. Yeah, you know, we've and but a been, COVID, yeah, COVID could break your body down too. You know, and lead to this. It doesn't indirectly because if your body, if it knocks down your immune system, then again, your body could, an infection can come in very easy. Well, I mean, Alex Smith, the quarterback, Alex know, former Smith, NFL yeah. court, he, he had a leg injury. Yeah. And I mean, it led he, to this, you know? Yeah. I mean, he had, almost had his leg amputated. He had to have, yeah. So, um, um, I, I, so what I will say about, Again, tonight, you know, and we feature again, we feature these uh, charities. So uh, later on tonight, as, as per tradition, uh, Coop, I will be donating a small amount uh, in your honor uh, to Sepsis Alliance. And, yep. and Steve, uh, again, thank you for your service. And later tonight, I'll be donating a small amount in your honor to Canines for Warriors. So, yep. Hey, Bear, with the Canines for Warriors, I'll I need to donate to both. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you, Steve. 
Thank you, Steve. Yeah. Hey, Bear, I put some in the chat too that Cigar Craig. Check with Cindy actually, first, though. <laughs> I, I put some in the chat that Cigar Craig's actually doing a, a fundraiser around Canines for Warriors on his website this month, and he's doing a uh, giveaway of some Drew Estate swag. So, oh, fantastic. so I put the link in there and I encourage folks, you know, if you want to try to win something with your donation, go ahead and do that. So, uh, and then of course we will have our um, annual uh, Chevy Chase Christmas vacation fundraiser. So if you want to watch Christmas vacation with bear, uh, it, we, Joe grow will be setting that up and there'll be a, a required donation to canines for warriors of, uh, I think it's like a really nominal thing, like $25 or something. And you'll get access to the, uh, to the, 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 um, the cringeworthy performance of the, the, the worst watch party. Act, yeah, the, the terrible acting of, of one Chevy Chase. But you will be subject to my commentary, which, as year, uh, the as the last years have proven, uh, it, I, I, I do not hold back. So, well, with, with Joe now going to Vegas, there's, you know, there's the movement to do a Vegas vacation one with you, too. So uh, <laughs> stay tuned if that's going to happen. I know it's hard pulling this once a year together. No. So. <laughs> yes. we'll, 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 we'll have to we'll have to figure that out okay. all in the name yeah. of great charity so yeah well, maybe we'll do that live at the media compound oh jesus we'll christ almighty <laughs> um jesus uh that would just be awful um but uh, let's get, get back into cigars here i've i've lit up my second cigar the the aged uh, mi carita uh the uh the corto um uh, which is smoking fantastic right now, uh, Steve. Uh, abs- this uh, this is probably my favorite size in this Vitola. Uh, this is my favorite Vitola in this blend, excuse me. And I'm really, really enjoying it. It's uh, it's smoking incredibly well. Um, but there was another Mikarita project that you launched this year. Um, and it was part of a, another limited project, uh, which was the, the Saka Khan. Saka Khan. Uh, here we go. Saka Khan. Saka Kong, I mean, we're going to rock it, Saka Kong. <laughs> Go ahead. No, keep going. I was, gonna, <laughs> I was hoping you'd do this. <laughs> uh, I don't have the lyrics in front of me. Oh, <laughs> fail. Uh, uh, okay. Saka Kong, Saka Kong. Saka Khan, let me rock you. Let me rock you, Saka Khan. Let me rock you. That's all I want to do. Saka Khan, let me rock you. Saka Khan, let me rock you because I feel for you. Saka Khan, will you tell me what you want to do? Do you feel for me the way I feel for you? Saka Khan, tell me what you want to want to do. I want to love you, hug you, and squeeze you too. So let me take you in your arms, take you in your charm, Saka, because I'm the one to keep you warm, Saka. I'll be more than just a physical dream. You're trying to sell this cigar You're not helping me. We were we were going to actually do something like that the media compound and yeah. with everything going on this year we did, we we could have people over this year so oh and I and I dude this year at the trade show I so mailed it in I literally I slept the whole trade show I was exhausted when I got there I I did not go out at night at all we did one company thing um, I mean we did dinner we did a dinner before. We did a dinner at the end, but man, this year I went to no parties. I went to nothingness. I just, uh, just, I don't know. And I'm just, and you know, you're talking about earlier getting older. I don't know how I did what I used to do 20 odd years ago where I would go to everything. I'd be at three or four different places every single night at a trade show. And now I can barely make it back to the room. It's just so decrepit. So, yeah, I mean, when when the covid stuff started spreading, like we just basically stopped the end. Some people did already have invites that came over, but we really just stopped it at that point because we obviously didn't want people getting sick. So and some people got sick, unfortunately. 
Um, so these dinners, Steve, were these before or after your uh, did. dragging your nuts across the floor? Oh, they one was before and one was after. Yeah. <laughs> Sort of but gets even though when we did at the very end, it was really just uh Cindy, me, Lafferty, and Yvonne. It was just the four of us. I mean, it was just uh, it's just I don't know what it is. I just I don't have the energy to do it, even it's though it's a I long know week because you're there for what 10 days, yeah, about 10 days, you know, from the point that you arrive to the point that you leave. And you know, we're not big enough where I mean, we're still in the mode, look, we're better today than we used to be. But we're still in the mode where we have to do all the grunt work ourselves. And we're not a company of spring chickens. You know, it's uh, everybody that comes to the trade show is uh, most everybody's 50 years or older. I mean, look, I mean, it's like, uh, I mean, you just, you know, we're in our 50s and 60s at this point. And I, and I think so. It's just it's it, it's hard. We, we, we need we need some younger people at Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust, you know. Uh, I mean, luckily, we now have a couple young people working in the warehouse. Um, we have a younger our accountant bookkeeper. She's younger. Uh, Amber on the team. She's younger. But none of these people go to the trade show yet. So we're not big enough to justify bringing everybody yet. Plus, we also, I mean, before in the past, when we did the trade show, the company would shut down. There would be no, we'd be like basically out of the office for 10 days and nothing would get accomplished. We don't have that flexibility anymore. So we have to have a team back at the office to keep things operating and running and shipping and fulfilling orders. Because you got to remember, you know, in our case, most of our retailers still go to the trade show, but the vast majority of retailers don't go to the trade show. So, and even in our case, probably... Probably half of our retailers don't come to the trade show, you know, so. Is that why you recruit Chris every year? Because that guy was running laps around the booth, even on the last day. Holy cow. Well, Chris, Chris got Chris got tattooed because um, what was supposed to happen is Anna was supposed to be there from Nicaragua. And then John was going to come. But Anna got COVID uh, in Nicaragua the week before. And when she got COVID, then we couldn't bring John either. And so we lost two bodies literally like the Monday before we were supposed to depart for the trade show. So it put Chris in a really bad way. Chris ended up doing the work of at least two people. And thank God he was, he was fantastic. And as you know, Chris is one of the guys that ended up getting COVID at, during that trip to Vegas. Um, luckily none of us got it in the booth. He was the only one, but Chris got it. So yeah, I mean, it's it's such a hard thing because it's so expensive, every body you bring, and you just don't know what you need and what you don't need. You know what I mean? It's always a bit of a crapshoot. You're trying to you're trying to balance because look, at this point now, I mean, the way travel expenses are, taking a body to Vegas and putting them in a hotel room and you know, cover between airfare, travel, meals, you're you're pretty much out like about almost five thousand dollars a head you know four thousand bucks it's really the cheapest you can do it i mean i mean can you do a little better obviously you can i don't imagine you guys are spending four i hope you're not spending 4k each but it does it does end up costing about that per person our costs have just exponentially gone up yeah uh, it's more more of it's a product of a larger team and we're doing more 
but it's gone up a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to know what you need, you know, like this year, this is the first year where like, we really like day four was really slow for us at the trade show. I mean, we wrote some orders on day four, but the bulk of our business is now being done in day one and day two. Um, and then, I mean, we were busy day three, but day four, I, I don't even know if we wrote four or five orders on that last day of the trade show where normally we'd be still, you know, doing another 15 to 20 orders on that last day. But again, this is just part of the progression as the company becomes larger and we could become a bigger item for our retailers in their store. We then become more of a focused brand for them. So therefore they tend to book appointments with us. And so they end up coming to the booth earlier than they would in the past where before they'd be like, okay, now it's time to go over to Dunbarton because we've done all the important companies that we need to do. So let's go take care of what we need to do with Dunbarton. So, well, we have some people in writing who have put that in the chat that they have volunteered to uh, pay their own way to volunteer in your booths, Steve. So you have that going for you going into next year. I'd say the reason why I don't do that because it is a lot of work. And I don't think that most people have any comprehension that if they haven't done a trade show, just how much work it really is. I mean, uh, you come and you work in the booth, you really barely get enough time to go and piss. You know what I mean? You don't really get to, you don't get to enjoy the trade show. You know, you don't get to go see everybody, look at all the new products. There's, there's just not enough time for that. So I always feel reluctant bringing someone because they think that it's going to be a much more enjoyable experience when really it isn't. It's really, it's really four real hard days of work is really what the trade show is. And in our case, it's more than that because we're having to do the front and the back. But it's still, I, so I, I'm always reluctant to bring consumers to the trade show that don't know what it's really about. How often do you get stopped on, like, you you, submit, you mentioned the seldom breaks that you do get. And I'm like, all joking aside, I'm not trying to make a, a bathroom joke here. But, like, how often do you get stopped? Like, I mean, are you able to, I mean, I mean, Matt Booth had, like, an entire, like, back road way to get because he got stopped so often that he yeah. can he, he just couldn't get back to you the know booth. So I always try to pick a booth that's like a short path to a beeline to the bathroom because that is the problem going to the bathroom can literally take you an hour because you get stopped so much from point A to point B and it's really hard you don't want to be rude you know what I mean but you have appointments in the booth that you have to be there at a certain time for so you don't really have a lot of free time in your schedule and look the thing is other people, manufacturers understand that more than uh, retailers or media or whatnot, or just, you know, and that, not even that, you know, who the biggest, like you'll have a retailer who has like two or three of their best customers with them and they want to stop and they want to talk to you. You know what I mean? And you're appreciative of it, but at the same time, you're just, you're on such a grind. I mean, it's such a, it's, it's really, those trade shows are really daily PCA. PCA is really, it's pretty much, uh, it's a very scripted experience time-wise. You don't have much free time. Now, TPE is a different story. TPE, you have, we have much more time at TPE than we have at a PCA. In fact, if you really want to, as a retailer, if you want to spend time talking to me, TPE is a better show to come to from that. Talking to me at the, at the PCA is really tough. 
So, uh, Cooper, we're you before you launched into your song. We we're going to talk about the Soccer Con release. <laughs> so, uh, before I ask, you know, Steve, obviously his thoughts and motivations behind it, and everything. Like, um, again, you've covered Steve for you know his entire time in this industry. I mean, even time before Don Barton Tobacco and Trust. You know, what have you like? This is this is kind of what we've been talking about tonight. We, you know, Steve does a really good job of focusing on core. You know but he also has these special projects that could sometimes eventually become releases and so and so SoccerCon was obviously a playoff of that it's still a limited release but uh what did you think of this release and 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 how uh and uh how it came to how it came to be into uh, Steve's um, portfolio you know I'll be I'll be very honest it didn't it didn't top tricky traka or blue um you know I had the JR I've had the JR release too I have the JR release here. Again, I would kind of put it not, not a bad scar. It wasn't one necessarily that I would reach for over um, red or blue. That was kind of like my, my impression on it. Um, but it was it was a lot more different than the other two, too. I, it, it had a little less of that dankness, I thought, actually, uh, compared to the other two. And then the blue is probably the most dank of that. So uh, it's a big cigar, too. So it requires a big investment to smoke this cigar. I mean, it this takes is a it. long time to smoke too. It takes a, a long time to smoke it. It's, a, it's not just big; it's a very slow yeah. burning. Cigar. It's a slow burn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where I again, I think Gordita in the blue is the one I reach for most. Um, you know, the four forty eight in the tricky truck is the one I reach for the most. So, but you know, Steve, here's what I always wonder, right? And I wanted to bring up this point: when you come up with something like blue, right? Mm-hmm. It, sometimes it's really like, and I see this when I come. You come up something that just is is great. It's hard to top it afterwards, like because you've probably put a lot of effort into that first release, and and you know now now the pressure's on to top this, so to speak. But you have but, to accept that you're not going to top, right? You know, and that's part of the reason why I try to do things that are different. You know what I mean? Or I try to do something that builds on something yeah. existing, but a variation of that. Because look, what's your best cigar and what's your worst cigar is in the eye of the beholder, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, some people will swear that my Sincompromiso Regular that you don't find isn't one that floats your boat in a great right. way. They'll argue that that's my best cigar. You know what I mean? So yeah. Yeah. what you're really trying to do is you're trying to make things that are different for different smoking experiences and for different consumers, understanding that you're never going to make there's no one all be all greatest ever, you know, going to end the world and nobody's going to smoke any other yeah. brand. It's just, it's physically impossible. So you're always looking for ways to add something, give something that, oh, people that really enjoy me, Kerita, here's something, a different expression for them to try and taste. Um, I think that, uh, I think it, and I, I think that you'll see that the next release of me, Kerita Black, We'll probably get a lot more. I mean, look, Saka Khan is getting a lot of internet love, so I can't say that it isn't. And the sales on Saka Khan are really just as good as the sales yeah. on any of the other limiteds. I mean, more than a Paladin. But again, I think it's price point, right? You got a cigar that's yeah. $17 versus a cigar that's $29. So I think there's a lot more people that are experiencing Saka Khan than there are people that experience Paladin. But I think that uh, so like the next one will be uh, Papa Saka and that's uh, and that's a smaller format size. I I think that's kind of where. I think that's I haven't completely 
I have a brand that I intended to release in 2023, but I think it's going to get pushed to 2024 because I think I'm going to be forced to focus on another brand that I really wasn't intending on doing in 2023. And as a result of that, I can only do so much. I can only add so many things. And the nice thing about the limited kind of stuff is it lets me do the neat tinkering kind of projects that I like to play with without really sucking up. Because if you're going to launch a whole brand, you're making a really serious cash commitment to doing an entire brand. Now, when you're doing a small limited project, you're putting just as much time in making the cigar and making the blend, but it isn't the same amount of cash on the line that you have. You know, when you do a Sin Compromiso and you're going to go, oh, I'm going to use this unique crop that we're growing in Mexico just for this brand. That's a very big long-term commitment because you're growing tobacco specifically to make a cigar that you have no idea whether it's going to be successful or not. So therefore you're taking a huge amount of risk in doing so. And so every time you decide to adopt a brand, and I'm talking about not just a throw it at the wall and come up with a nice name, sales kind of brand, but something that you think has the potential to really cement itself or has the opportunity to cement itself. That's, that, that's a real serious commitment to make that happen. And it's one of the reasons why I didn't intend on doing one in 2022 because Stillwell was so late in 2021 for all practical purposes. 20, I mean, I know for people listening to this and for you guys, Stillwell might as well be a decade ago. But when you really think about it, Stillwell will literally be one year old next month. Right. It's not even a year old. I mean, we started shipping Stillwell in November of last year, if I remember correctly, maybe mid-October, right? It was right around then when we started selling it. So so I always have to balance this out one way or the other, you know, and uh, you just, you can't, you can't do everything. I can't do everything because I'm too broke. I can't do everything because I'm so spread thin personal labor-wise. And then you can also make the argument that doing everything also makes your message very muddled, you know, and you don't want to do that either. I, I don't, I don't personally believe in the approach of, Hey, I'm going to launch three, four new brands in a year and hoping that one of the three or four are going to be one that catches. I don't, I don't tend to subscribe to that philosophy. I will say though, it's the one that generates the most cash in the short term. And so that was, that was a question I was about because I, I, to Steve, I, the the blue is absolutely my favorite of all three. Um, but I think, I think for most part, from from the history of Mikarita, that when people smoked the blue, they they enjoyed it or they didn't, right? But mm-hmm. when red, when you launched red, there there was a like there was an expectation of what red was going to be, and I think what black is proven to be, even though like people got a preview if they had a chance to smoke it from the from Jr's fiftieth. Like I, I think it's so completely different, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here. But I think it's like I think the blend is different. Yep. The taste is obviously different. So but like, really, it's if, the same. It's the same base blend, but it's with an addition of a Honduran tobacco to it. So it's not a dramatically different blend. I mean, it's definitely in the Mikarita genre. I mean, there's definitely interconnectivity between the blue, the red, and the black. Okay, I think it's just a question of which flavor profile do you enjoy the most? 
you know, and certain consumers like red better and other consumers like blue better. And I imagine as black grows as a portfolio and there's more accessible sizes than just the baseball bat that there currently is. I think that that'll change things. I think that when people smoke, uh, when they start smoking a Toro to a Toro to a Toro, then you'll start to see people who go, oh, black is the one I prefer of the three. Now, but what you don't want to have happen is you don't want one to supplant the other. You want, like, blue is my number one seller in me, K. Rita. I sell more blue than I sell red. But red is growing faster than blue did. Right. You were saying that earlier. It just hasn't caught up yet. Mm-hmm. Now, in the end, I don't know. Now, what will black do? I ultimately have no clue what black will do. Because what black is now is it's a limited production of a Tola within a family of a, within a family of a brand. So it's a snapshot. It's not, there's, there's not enough black for black to compete with blue or red in any way whatsoever. And even if I add the smaller size of black, uh, which I will next year, it still won't have the opportunity to do what blue and red are doing. So take the Vitola out of it. Like you, 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 you coined the phrase there, a baseball bat. So take Vitola out of it for a second. Just talk about blend. So if I'm if I'm an if I'm a smoker that's being introduced to me Carita for the first time, how would you suggest to smoke it? And what progression would you say blue uh, blue red black or would you say yeah, I would I would say blue red black. Okay. All right. So because I found because and, and Coop you can chime in here too. Like I found I feel like black from a strength pro- profile fits between the blue and the red person. Yeah. That's that's what, what I, I was thought. Say. That's what I thought. Yeah. But you would still smoke it. You would still smoke it that that direction, though, just to kind of to catch the in between by smoking that one last. Yeah, I mean, because look, the red is look the Miki Rita core liga is the same between all three. The blue is the core liga. The red is the core liga with the incorporation of the Dominican Lajero, okay, that comes from from Reyes, and then the black is instead of the Dominican Lajero, it now has a Honduran Lajero. That we grow uh, in, uh, in 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 Hamastran, so you basically are looking at really the incorporation of just one additional ingredient in the red and another additional ingredient to replace the one that's in the red within the black. But I mean, there's definitely continuity between all three. So I think it just comes down to how do you like your chocolate ice cream, you know? Well, I don't, but yeah, I get your coin. Uh, um, no, it's it. It's funny that you said that because, like, I I think that that and that's that was the point that I was trying to make, Steve, and it was that about the blend is that I like blue, like red to me. There's a there's a progression there, and yeah, you, that one ingredient kind of makes sense. But like you're saying that if you would if you would ask me that question and, and just kind of blindly, you know, I I wouldn't have, I would have said that black was a Completely had completely different. I, I mean, I basically said it. It, it seemed ago. more different than it the just other seemed more things. different. Yeah, but yeah, also there's not a double Corona in either in the, the other side. red to have a, a physical Vitola to Vitola heads up, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas, like when you smoke a Gordita in blue versus a Tricky Traca four four eight, you now have an even playing field when it comes to size and weight okay. and you know density of cigar. So I think it becomes much easier for you to do a head-to-head. But how can you compare the black when there isn't anything even? And it's not big enough ring gauge-wise that you get into where the Grand Buffaloes are 
or the tricky track of 764 because you're really in a much different genre when you get into the Gordo size versus that more classic double Corona size. Yeah, those are Coop's favorite sizes. Um, but that might be an interesting exercise. I don't, I don't think so in Mikirita, no, Coop. I don't think either of those are your favorite Mikiritas, the big ones. Right, no, attacking the Mikiritas, it's the smaller, uh, you know, the Gordita and the 448. I mean, those are the ones I tend oh, wow. Yeah. So there, there's a course where Coop tends to smoke larger, a lot of Gordos, and those tend to be some of the sizes he favors the most. But in Mikirita, no. He yeah, I thought the, yeah. Yeah, I thought the Grand Buffalo was was a good size uh, for the blue, but I, it then it, it didn't replace the Gordita for me. So it 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 all depends on the blend and what it does for me, like in a size. And and Bear and I take the philosophy: we don't dismiss a line if we don't like one size. Right. We we we, are, we always kind of keep looking and see because yeah. we've been surprised a lot of times that, that something has hit us. Because in certain in certain blends and certain blends. I like other sizes better. More, I don't always like the Robusto the best. I don't always like the Toro the best. I don't right. always like the Lonsdale the best. You know what I mean? It just really kind of, it really depends on how the blend translates into that cigar. But again, you're in unique territory because that's not the way most consumers smoke. Most consumers, pretty much the vast majority of any cigars they smoke are in one or two size ranges. They don't tend to play the field very much. They have a size, and a lot of times the size has to do with what their count, their schedule is. Do you know what I mean? They have so much time at the end of the day. They have so much time when they get off work on their drive home. They have so much time, you know, on the weekend that they can smoke. Uh, you know, or hey, they smoke when they're walking their dog. That's the only time they ever get to smoke is when they walk yep. their dog, right? Yep. So they tend to choose cigars that fit the duration of however long they tend to walk their dog, you know, and you get other people that only smoke cigars on Friday, Saturday, and they like to do it with a bottle, you know what I mean? And they want to be there for two hours. So, I mean, that, that's the way the average consumer smokes cigars, not the person that's like really into cigars. Yep. Well, I think, uh, I think that'll be a fun exercise Coop as, as he continues to build the black as we could do that kind of, comp- you know, Probably you never will because I'm probably going to pick odd sizes for the blacks. Well, damn it, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. I, mean, um, I, know, I know the next one will be a, a very classic Cuban Corona Gorda size. That'll be the Papa size. Yeah. Nice. Steve, was there a Mi Corita Green floating around at one point? There's a band. Okay, I thought I've seen it somewhere. That's why I was asking. Yeah, I made, I made Mi Corita Green bands. Look, it costs, it's just cheaper to print the bands when they're printing them and cutting right. them and doing all the work. So I had to make the black bands and I had to make the, a dark green band. So I already have dark green bands too. They've just never, they've never been used on a cigar. I mean, okay. I'm sure they've slapped them on some cigars and there's been some fun. Uh, I could have swore I saw it. That's why I was asking. You know, yeah. he, mentioned, he mentioned a green on one of my shows. So maybe that's why I heard it. Yeah. And then like, there's a version of me, K Rita, that's box pressed that I made a long time ago, like four years ago, in a Toro size. And I actually used a Dunbarton green band on it. So it's the Dunbarton logo, and it has a green band on it. And you'll see occasionally consumers, because I'll sometimes give them out as a, a special unique thing in an event or something, where I'll have these, they're, they're pretty aged now, they're like four years old. And it was, uh, I made like a thousand of them. 
was a box press six by 52 of me, Kirita. I do remember that one too. I didn't get smoking, but I remember seeing it. But I decided not to do it because I've kind of gone that direction with red meat lovers. And even though the red meat lovers blend is different than the Mikirita blend, um, red meat lovers is still a Connecticut broadleaf, earthy. It's in that kind of wheelhouse. If you, if you like Mikirita, you're probably going to like red meat lovers. Like red meat lovers, you're probably going to like Mikirita. It's really just a question of the two that you like the better. And what's happened with red meat lovers is I tend to go down the Prensado route with those. So if I do red meat lovers and their Prensados, I'm kind of competing. You know what I mean? I got to also mm-hmm. think about how am I competing with red meat lovers as we continue to grow that brand. So speaking of growing brands, this is something we kind of touched on earlier today too, Coop. So like, um, you know, Coop, when, when last year, you know, like he said, it's, it's ancient now, it's ancient history, the launch, but it's yearly, it's barely a year old now. You know, Coop, when he and, uh, when Steve launched uh, Stillwell, there was, you know, we had some, we had some questions, not because not, not around how the cigars tasted necessarily or, or, or were made, but we just didn't know how the market would, you know, respond to it. Cause it was very unique and different. I'm sure, I'm sure you had similar questions yep. to it, Steve, but I think yeah, what, you were, what you were suggesting too, I think, I mean, I mean, Cooper, I mean, where, where do you think, I mean, do you, I mean, do you, do you sit that these are have uh, have hit the market well and have, have been successful, or or are you, or is, is the jury still out? Because again, we're only a year into it. In your opinion, so it kind of depends where I am, right? I know where Steve launched the cigar in South Carolina, and I and I believe it has a pretty good following out of uh, uh, Low Country, right? And I and I, and I, I kind of get it with that store. I think in Charlotte it's been a little different, um, just because there's not a the pipe community here is very limited. So I, the way I've kind of, in my opinion, they were good cigars. They're not for everybody is what, I, what I've kind of said to them, but they're good cigars. Um, I think the Navy blend's my favorite of the four. I, I've reviewed two of them. I have the other two coming up this month. Um, but, you know, and for me, it was something that interested me to smoke because it was different. It was so different than anything that I, I ever smoked. And, the, you know, and I you, I think the Navy and I surprisingly really like the aromatic too. Uh, they they kind of hit me well, but but like I said, if I go down to Low Country in South Carolina, I mean I've been there. It's that cigar's popular down there. I mean, Steve, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but well, I don't know about particularly that count. Doesn't surprise me that it would be. What I do know is overall sales of Stillwell is really really high. Um, it's actually at the current rate that it's going. It is probably going to, it's our number one growing brand this year. Okay. I mean, it's definitely doing really well. Um, What I've noticed in the last four to five months, right before the trade show, up until that point, all four different blends were selling on even, like literally like even, even like within a hundred boxes, one another, which is crazy. But I've now noticed that the aromatic has started to outpace the others two to one. The others are all holding the same level, but the aromatic is two to one over the others. And that and that's what I'm seeing, which is kind of what I always thought would happen, right? Because people tend to like that kind of flavor profile that are wanting to smoke those more, you know, unique. Because it's it's basically for all practical purposes, 
it's kind of a quasi flavored product, right? Yeah. Aromatic pipe tobaccos are case tobaccos. So therefore you're getting that kind of case back sensation. So I see aromatic outpacing the others. Now, what I will find interesting is, so this year, the holiday release is an aromatic. This one, I think, is less sweet than last year's. I like this year's aromatic blend better, personally, but consumers may not because it doesn't have a sweet head on it like the aromatic number one has. So all the sweetness that you're getting is a result of the pipe tobacco blend. Um, So it's rather unique. But my intention with next year, assuming it still will continue to grow the way it is, is for the holiday release, I'm going to do a Balkan style blend. And anyone that smokes pipes knows that Balkan pipe blends are some of the absolute strongest blends that you can Mm. smoke. So next year, if things go the way I think they're going to go, there's going to be a really heavy Balkan style Stillwell, which would really appeal probably to the guy that likes to smoke really strong cigars, which doesn't fit with what the current Stillwell line seems to be, because most of them are in the mild and medium category is where I would put Stillwell. But I think next year, the brand will have enough momentum that I can take a chance of throwing in a Balkan in there. And it may be a Balkan, or I'm also working on a variation of it where it's kind of a cross between a Balkan and a Burley blend. Um, on the pipe tobacco side. So I'm really, because Burley is the other really super, super strong style of tobacco that you get in a pipe. So it may be kind of a, 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 a code product. You know, I think, you said, lo- I think we're losing, I think we're losing Barry's falling asleep. I see. No, I'm good. <laughs> oh, I was, I was, I was looking to, yeah, I'll, I'll wait for Coop's comment, but yeah, I was just going to talk about it. So Steve was saying this earlier. Um, we didn't see Stillwell Slur on a lot of consensus last year or this last year. Um, we saw it on some lists, but I don't know necessarily if it, was, it wasn't on the consensus. I think, Steve, you said it. You kind of divided the field with four different blends. So reviewers are going to kind of gravitate to one or two of yeah, them. But I, think, I think Charlie would have put it all together. I, I, I don't think, think I don't think he does. Okay. From what I understand. And I'll I, ask him that yeah, coming on our show in December. Still- I don't think still well I ever thought I would do well with the media. I thought it would do really well with the media from the novelty part of it, right? Where it would get a lot of attention because it was just so weird and so different. So I knew it was going to get a lot of attention that way, but I didn't expect that Stillwell Star was going to be in either of your guys' top list at the end of the year because it's just not the type of cigar that I know that most of us like to smoke. I think that's I mean, fair too. I think it's totally fair as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, but we could say the same thing. Look, Cuba Cuba is one of the number one selling cigars in America. How many times do you see acid at the top of a list? Yeah. Right. Sweet Jane is a massive seller in the marketplace. Maybe uh, I don't know where it fits in compared to Cuba Cuba. Now you'd have to ask a bunch of retailers a survey on that because I don't have internal numbers, but we all know that Sweet Jane is obviously one of their home runs commercially sells like wild sells like hotcakes right but it didn't end up on any list anywhere right you don't ever see sweet jane on a list i mean so no and believe me drew estate pushed the acid 20s a couple years ago hard i mean they sent it to all the media and it you know that's usually sometimes the recipe is 
get it in as many media people's hands. Hopefully they review it, rank it, and it ends up on an end of your list. They did that. It, it, that didn't happen. Same thing with Stowell Star. It didn't happen automatically with that either. So right. it's not an, a guaranteed thing is what I'll tell people. I think it's, you know, that's it's not a guarantee by any means. Well, even in the small group of people that, that, that we talk about with group, like a lot of people were, uh, you know, had, you know, had the Bayou on the bottom of the four. And uh, that's my favorite. That's my and, favorite. Yeah. And uh, I, th- I thought that was, I thought that was just really good. The aromatic's probably my second. The uh, aromatic really surprised me how much I liked it um, of the four. Um, I was kind of always the Navy blend guy of the four. But when I actually went through the aromatic, and I think I spoke to the aromatic, Steve, when you were on my show, and I, I found it very approachable. And I think that's, if anything, I, maybe that's why you're seeing a little more of a surge with that cigar. I think, I think yeah, it's so look, an aromatic is the one that gives off the best room note, right? Yeah, yeah. So aromatic's going to be the one that your wife is going to say to you, oh, that one smells good. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's just because it just does smell good when you're smoking an aromatic inside a room or when they're on their back deck. I mean, and look, that was always one of the reasons why we had certain successes with certain products at Drew Estate. It was because they're significant others and the people around them wouldn't bitch when they would be smoking a, a natural. They wouldn't bitch when they were smoking a tobacco special. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and, and that makes a difference. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that smoke Javas, but Javas never end up on any list. I mean, when do you ever see a photo of a Java online? I mean, you, you see certain groups. I've only seen it once. There was a guy in Canada who was really into infused cigars, and he was reviewing stuff a few years ago, and he had those cigars on there. He was the only, but he was into that stuff. Yeah. I well, I think I, I mean it's the it's the connotation. I mean, I, I mean, I can I, I'll be the first to confess this too. I mean, like when I started really getting into cigars and everything, like I, I, I you know, I turned my nose up at those blends, uh, you know, initially, and uh, they weren't real cigars. They weren't, you know. I mean, the the, neg- the negative connotations are in rapid, even in my own personal, uh, you know, assertion. And that's that's incredibly unfair uh, because they are incredibly popular. And, you know, they're you know, they're made with just as much care and just as much meticulousness, if not well, more so. Some of them are and some of them aren't. That's also part of the problem. Right. Sure. I mean, there's 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 definitely different grades, but there's different grades in traditional cigars, too. Right. The. Stuff that people are getting from CI for $2 a stick in a bundle is not the same cigar that you're smoking when you smoke a Monte Cristo 1935, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. But they're still just both traditional cigars. And it's no different in the flavored and fused side of things. There's definitely higher quality product out there and lower quality. You can't just put it all together. But typically, if you're, if you're like, look, I was president of Drew Estate and I never smoked any of that stuff. I never floated my boat either, you know. I uh, so I mean, if I had to smoke an acid, the toast or the Big Bang. That's I, uh, that's like the, yeah, the Big Bang is actually what turned me and it got me thinking more about. It. That's funny. That's funny. You said right. That. I mean, uh, those are the two that maybe I'd like. Okay, this doesn't completely suck. I, I I get it here. You know what I mean. But in the end. I didn't become an acid toast smoker because it just didn't suit my fancy. Just the same way as look, I again, I smoke more Bayou than any of the others. I, I light an aromatic because I have to. It's my job to light aromatics to make sure they're right to make sure they're consistent. But um, literally, I haven't. I don't smoke that many aromatics when I go to the humidor to pick something for me to relax with. I'm not grabbing an aromatic. 
But looking at my sales numbers, obviously, there's a lot of people that are. Yeah, I think I think it's just a. I, I mean, I for one was pretty interested in it, um, just because you were doing something so different, and I wanted to see how the market responded to it. It's obviously done really well. I mean, I go into a shop now, and I'll, I'll probably pick up one if 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 and when they're available. I usually just keep grabbing them. Just you know, um, I I don't think I'll ever be a box buyer on it, Steve. Uh, you know, just you know. With all respect, let's be, but that's let's just... be honest, Bear. I mean, what are we all box buyers though? We we all probably have four, five, six things that we're box buyers of, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, what 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 are you a box buyer of? It's very hard to become a box buyer on anything, really. Particularly in today's market, when you have so many options and so many variations of things, you know. So well, unless you're Aaron Nielsen, but yeah, I got you. Yeah, I mean, it's just yeah, it's just not a. So look, there's a difference. I mean, you have box buyers that are box buyers because they want to complete their collection. So you have those box buyers, but they can't smoke all the cigars they're buying. They're buying to have it as part of their collection and have the option of smoking it. But they're not, they're not, they're not smoking all the cigars they're buying. You physically can't. There's not enough time in the day to smoke everything that some of the box buyers buy. And what I mean, really ends up, and you'll see this too, if you talk to retailers. They'll have these whale customers. They'll go on this huge tear for two or three years and they'll just buy, 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 buy. Then all of a sudden they just kind of like dry up. You know what I mean? Because nobody can sustain that type of purchasing pattern. No, I agree. Like, um, I mean, I, I bought heavy on Bewitch just because, you know, just how, you know, I mean, just basically how you said you were, you were really enjoying it. And I was like, well, I might not be able to get these anymore if people are going to buy them you know with how much favoritism you showed you showed to it initially and um but i mean like the exclusivo like i always have a i always have a box on hand i mean that's a small box mind you it's not like there's not that many cigars in it and the commitment's actually pretty low for for a pretty stellar cigar when you talk about you know financial uh commitment too and i think that's why you're in a box for what 135 ish i think yeah less than that depending on whatever Mm mm-hmm but it's pretty, it's a great, it's a great commitment to, for a fantastic cigar. And yeah, you don't get that many, but you know, I, what I really like it too, is just, again, they're, they're more expensive, but you know, you can buy a box of them and, um, and have on hand, like there, uh, there was a, another release from, uh, another, uh, another company, uh, this year that I was really excited about the cigar. And I was probably gonna, I was going to invest in a box cause I really liked the initial blend that I had the sample I had. But then they had, I mean, it's a $15 cigar retail and they have it in 24 count boxes. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a pull. I mean, this is a challenge that we're all running into now. Packaging is so expensive, but cigars have gotten so expensive and look, it costs the same to make the small count boxes. It does to make the large count box and we don't make money on boxes. So those costs just get instantly passed to the consumer. So when you make Sober Mason a 13-count box like Brulee's, it means a consumer to register. He's spending about 50 to 60 cents more for that to be in a 13-count box instead of being in a 25-count box. But he can buy an entire box of Brulee, and he can get that box of Brulee for under 200 right? Whereas if he buys a whole box of 25-count Cervantes Fino, he's got a $370 purchase sitting in front of him. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's uh, it becomes a hard nut to crack. So you're you're in this weird area right now where consumers tend to be okay spending ten dollars more on the cigars to have boxes and boxes that are half as large. It also goes part into the way we as consumers are now too. We tend to like more variety, so they would rather spend an extra five to ten dollars to have it in a smaller box so they could have more different boxes. Um, and, and look, and it's one of the reasons why I think too, as a company, we've done so well. You notice that I tend to focus on these smaller format boxes or smaller quantity boxes. I tend to try to do a lot of 10 and 13s. Um, and look, and me, K. Rita, the way broadleaf prices and those cigars are going, I may get pushed into a point where I have to say, hmm, maybe I need to put these in 10 count boxes too that, you know, the average consumer is not going to be able to afford a Mi K. Rita, you know, Toro, if I keep putting it in a 20 count box. Because it's just going to be too big a purchase for them. They would rather buy a 10 count box, pay $5 more for the 10 count box on a per cigar basis, not per cigar, but totaled into the cigars. Yeah. So four months later, when they need another box, they can buy another box rather than buying a 20 count box from Jump. But the problem is smaller quantity boxes, they just end up costing the consumer more on a per unit basis. They just do. And the other thing too, is I think retailers like the smaller format boxes too, because it reduces their carrying cost and their humidor to fill their shelves. Because if the box just has one row of cigars, it takes the same amount of space in the humidor. So, you know, and it's not like it used to be where, you know, it used to be you could stock a really nice humidor for 75 to 100K worth of inventory and the place would look full. Well, now you're looking at like, hey, I need to spend 250 to $300,000 to now initially stock my humidor because of where cigar prices have gotten to in this current market. So I think you even see some favoritism on retailers' parts that they like the lower count boxes. Now, again, you're going to talk to another retailer you're going to tell me I'm fucking crazy. Okay, and he doesn't like that at all. And there's always going to be exceptions to this rule. But I do see this general trend of consumers liking the smaller count boxes and retailers liking smaller count boxes, even though it costs in the end to both the retailer and the consumer more per cigar to put them in that smaller count box. Steve, you don't do any cabinet boxes, though, right? Um, I don't, but I probably will do one this year. Because I know sometimes they are more space economical is what I hear from retailers. Yeah, but that's, see, I, I always dismiss that mm-hmm. because retailers don't care. Retailers only care about price at turn. So they complain the box is too big or the box is too small or the box is too ugly or the box is too expensive on stuff that isn't selling. If the product's selling, yeah, this yeah, is never true. a conversation. Good you good can point. find... You can find examples of cabinet boxes that they hate and cabinet boxes that they love. It's yeah. not the cabinet box. It's the fact that cigar, these cigars in this cabinet box, yeah. like a Tatuaje, whatever, is selling really well, where brand XYZ that comes in the exact same t- style of box isn't selling. So in the end, it all comes down to whether it turns or not. I mean, look, retailers loved edges, right? And they came in 100-count boxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When edges were flying off the shelf, they were happy to make space for a hundred count box for an edge. Yeah, 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 that's true. You know, it's interesting because I was talking to uh, the EP Carrillo folks, um, 
And they recently went to 20 count boxes from the 10 count boxes of like the La Historias and the Encores, which I thought was an interesting thing. And you're kind of saying the other way around, which I think is interesting, too. So I think because they're making the calculation that, oh, well, that'll save the consumer, you know, 35 cents, 40 cents a cigar. And then that's going to be an important proposition for the consumer. And I think the opposite. But it also depends on what price point you're trying to hit. Right. If you're trying to keep a cigar in that eight to eleven dollar range that 45 cents makes a much bigger difference than if I'm selling a cigar like a Molester to Saka, that's a $19 cigar. That consumer isn't as price sensitive about an extra 40 cents for it to be in a smaller count box. And in the case of Molester, it's even higher because you got the dopey coffins. I mean, those coffins, coffins add a lot of, they added, they add a significant expense to the product to have that in a coffin. Now consumers will say, well, I don't need the coffin. But the retailer does. The retailer, that coffin is part of the sell for them. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the coffin also kind of sets up the experience that, okay, well, this cigar is different. It's unique. You know what I mean? It's a little more special. And the coffin also ends up making my name more prominent on the packaging, which oh, yeah. for some retailers, that's part of the pitch that they use is to trade on the name. So it's not as simple as, because if it was this simple in a perfect world, we as manufacturers, we wish we never had to have boxes. We'd love to ship everything in bundles. Okay. We wish we didn't have to put all this fancy packaging on everything. Um, All of these things are all pain points for us as manufacturers. They're all supply chain issues. They're all direct costs. They're constantly escalating. They're a constant pain in the ass. And if we could get away with not having it, we'd not have it. And you have consumers that say to you all the time, it isn't necessary, but the sales don't show that. Okay. Oh. If they did, we would all change. Trust me. We, yeah. we respond to the market, right? We don't, it's not yeah. the other way around. You know, it's not like we decide what the market wants. We try things, but in the end, they clap back. And what's successful and not successful ultimately ends up dictating the path you go down. And trust me, if we could get away with everything being in, in, in just bundles and, and patakas, we would love to put everything in bundles and patakas and be done with all of this nonsense. You know how much money we would save and how much hassle we would save? Just, I mean, just think about the, the shipping cost of you know, doing all that. Now, on the plus side with boxes, one of the things I like about a physical box is the product is better protected than in a bundle. I, cigars become much more damaged when they're shipped in bundles than when they're shipped in an actual form-fitted box, provides a lot more protection for the cigar. And that becomes much more critical, particularly if you're shipping Padrones, no cellophane, relatively thin wrapper on that, right? Mm -hmm. And even in boxes, you go to the retail shelf and you see quite a few Padrones that have looked like they've been a little bit beat up. Can you imagine what would happen if those cigars were packed in bundles? You know what I mean? It would be... be How would I ever ship a brulee blue in a bundle? I mean, literally, probably 50% of the cigars would be cracked by the time yep. the retailer went to restock the box. Well, if any retailer ever says to me that they would like they don't need the boxes for Moestra, that they could sell just as many, I'd call them a bullshit liar right off the yeah. bat. If you want to, if you want your sales on Moestra to drop, take them out of the coffins and see it, like, you know, and just present them with just the footband. Like and just see how watch your sales just completely drop on moistures. Same cigar, fan, they're fantastic. Watch them drop. Yeah. You know, and it's 
it, it's it's the pre- yeah you're absolutely right the presentation makes it i mean i when i buy moestras i pull them out but that's for storage reasons i, I, I always pull them out of the coffin because i've had issues keeping them in the coffin long term yeah and it's but, every cigar it's not your coffin steve's in particular I'll, every tell, coffin. I'll tell you what the issue with a lot of coffins are yeah coffins aren't properly wicked a lot of times coffins end up being too wet and then yep. cause molding problems. Yep. Okay. The coffins, the coffins. And if the, co- and, and even if you as a manufacturer properly wick them, sometimes the retailers, look, a retailer's humidor is almost always too wet. And it's not because they don't have a system, but the problem is the door is being opened 50 times a day. Yeah. So the communication is constantly kicking on and kicking on and kicking on many more times a day. Than my walk-in humidor. My walk-in humidor, I'd be surprised that thing kicks on more than two or three times a day. You know what I mean? Because I'm not in and out of it all the time. But a retailer's humidor, and particularly with a lot of them having those kind of like fogging things, it almost always seems one corner or one end is wetter than the other end. You know what I mean? So it, it becomes even more problematic. And and the coffins hold a lot of moisture. If they get over wet, they're they're prime for they're prime for molding. So, Steve, that was one question I wanted to ask you about your humidor. You've mentioned it a couple of times on shows and interviews that I've done with you. Do you have a walk-in humidor at your house? I do. Do you know the capacity on it? No, it's not a big walk-in humidor. It's, um, it's like probably 10 foot long by maybe 8 foot wide. And there's, and it's more, and I've heard you talk about some other product. You've got You've got stuff other than Dunbarton in there as well. Stuff that you've yeah, had, probably, you've probably, probably half of it's not Dunbarton. Um, I've been getting rid of a lot of this stuff lately because I just need more space because I just need space for sample ligas. So I've been trying to trim it, trim it down. Um, I've donated a lot of cigars to Cigars for Warriors over the last couple of years. Um, probably, probably close to probably seven or 8,000 cigars cumulatively between the various places. Um, cause I send some to Penny and I send, I give some to Peter and I give some to a variety of other people, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's the right size. It's, but it's like everything you have. It's never big enough. Right. Yeah. You buy a human or you fill it up. Shed, uh, the trunk of your car, you, you always fill it up and you always have 15% more than you have space for. And it's no different. I wish it was bigger, but I had a much bigger one in my previous home. Before I moved, my original New Hampshire home was a much larger one. And I ended up with like 20 to 25,000 cigars in it. It was crazy. You know what I mean? Who needs that many cigars? <laughs> so this one's much more manageable. Um, and, uh, and that's typical, you know, that's the standard cedar and the and the shelves that most retailers use and whatnot in it. And, but I have stuff stacked and nooked and Tetris in there and stuff on the floor and stuff crammed in every other direction it's pretty the reason i never show any pictures because i'm embarrassed by how sloppy it is (laughs) me too okay like right now there's literally like there's a pile in the middle of it of stuff i need to throw away i just keep throwing stuff in this pile on the floor right and eventually i'm gonna go in there with two you know 55 gallon bags and i'll just shuttle all that crap into it you know what i mean it's just it's kind of shameful so i don't i don't tend to and you see other people like uh like James in Dallas, he's got this beautiful, immaculate smoking room and beautiful walk-in humidor. And it's just, 
no, my mine is much more like a the closet in a machinist shop where you just keep jamming crap in it, you know. All right, gentlemen. Well, we've got three more questions, even though this next question is more, it's a rapid fire series of questions uh, to cap off our night. So this is a something I've done uh, previously uh, with another guest, but I'm going to start introducing it a little bit. I think it's kind of fun. So this is going to be a rapid fire, this or that. So both of you have to answer the question, this or that. So here we go. We're going to start with, um, we're going to start with beverages that are typically enjoyed. Uh, we enjoyed as children, but some of you, I guess, people could still probably enjoy them today but uh so hot chocolate or a root beer float steve root beer float Coop. oh root beer float easy it's an easy one that was a treat to go get a root beer float at the local soda shop we okay. had those we had those yep it doesn't matter what it is <laughs> what any particular ice cream is it is it always vanilla or is it something different I always like vanilla. 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 Yeah, clean, clean and simple. Yep. Vanilla. All right. Next, we're going to go to socks. Crew or ankle socks? Steve. I'm always ankle. I don't, I don't tend to like socks at all. You'll notice that a lot of times, even when I wear dress shoes, I'll still, I'll go, I'll go with a whole Italian kind of thing going on vibe because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a big sock guy. You know what I mean? So, uh, but I've definitely, if I'm wearing socks, even like with tennis shoes or something, I'll wear ankle socks. Crew. Crew socks? I knew Crew. this was coming. But I wear socks because I used to get plantar warts left and right, and I have to keep my feet covered now. So. There's some TMI. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um. Uh, talk about lighting a cigar. All uh, we asked this question on a recent roundtable, Steve. Uh, so I do know I do know Coop's answers, uh, but he'll answer anyway. Um, all things considered, equal in terms of your environment. So it's not you're not outside; you're inside. Uh, yeah, you know, are answer. you lighting a lighter? Uh, using a lighter or using a match to light your cigar? I'm always using a lighter. What kind of lighter? I, I tend to use a torch. Torch. Okay. I'm just a little more gentle with it than a lot of people. I see a lot of people using it like they're trying to brulee their cigar. They need to calm down a little. <laughs> Toast with it. Toast lighter. it. Yeah. Yeah. Be a little bit more gentle. Yeah. Ease into it a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm the soft flame days. Like, I, I've never bought a DuPont lighter, but I've been gifted like three or four over the years. And they just basically stay in a drawer. I never, ever take them out. The only time I ever use a soft flame lighter is for pipe smoking. Uh, you know, can't use a torch on a, on a pipe. Well, if uh, matches, matches, matches are because I don't have anything else. I would, I would much rather stick it on a hot plate or, you know, an exhaust pipe tailpipe of my car than deal with a fucking set of matches. <laughs> well, Steve, if you can't, uh, if you can't uh, appear on my birthday show next year, you know what you can give me for my birthday then. Um, <laughs> Coop, it's a match, right? Oh, it's a torch lighter. Torch lighter. Okay. Yeah. In fact, I had a soft flame DuPont lighter. I bought one and I had it for like three months and I hated it. I gave it to my dad. I said, use it for your cigarettes. <laughs> like, <this thing's> terrible. <laughs> I couldn't, I didn't have the patience to deal with it. Yeah. Again, you know, back in the day when Corona's were the cigar of choice, right? Yeah. Much easier to light with a soft flame lighter. Sure. Yeah. Also, you didn't have a torch lighter. 
Yep. Right? It's like, it's like the same thing. I eat microwave popcorn because it's convenient. It's right? Better, right? I eat it all the time. I mean, yeah, the popcorn, if I did the oil, I stood there and I shook the pan back and forth the way my mother did. Yeah, the popcorn turns out better, but I don't do it. So... Right. And you talked hot chocolate. The best way to have hot chocolate is to melt, melt chocolate, right? I don't have right. the time to do it. I'm going to zip the pouch and pour it in, you know? So, exactly. Nice. Which, by the way, that's what a holiday tastes like. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, it's like hot chocolate. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Should have made root beer float, though. I like the float so, better. Maybe someone may have the trademark on that one already. <laughs> I think someone actually did come out with a root beer float cigar. I'm sure they did. I, yeah, I'm sure yeah. there's no way Caldwell doesn't have a root beer flow. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say they have a cream soda, you know. They had cre- I, I think yeah, I think that, I think I've seen the root beer float one actually with the A and W. Well, we won't go there. Okay. Uh, I love cream soda. All right. So this uh, past year, 2022, we've lost a lot of great celebrities. Uh, three very prominent actors that were featured in, uh, if not one, a couple of um, what you would consider mafia films. Uh, and or TV shows, alleged, alleged mafia, but okay, uh, alleged mafia, uh, <laughs> organized crime. Uh, so, uh, and these actors are so you have to pick one. There's three of them: uh, James Con, Paul Servino, and Ray Liotta. Coop, start with you. Oh, you don't even have the one I would pick, but okay. Um, it's easily James Con, the role of Sonny Corleone. Um, that's the one, but I would have picked Tony Sirico actually. But but James Con definitely. Uh, the, the one of the great iconic roles of Sonny mm. Corleone. Yeah. Steve. I, I think I'm going with Leota. I think I enjoyed more of the films that Ray Leota was in than I did. James. He's, he's done good ones though. You know, he does. I mean, James Conner obviously is a fantastic actor. We can't yeah. even begin, but of, of those, I think I'll miss Ray Leota more. Then I'll miss James Conn from a movie perspective. Yeah. And yeah. by the way, he was great in The Many Saints in Newark Bear, despite what people said. He, his role in that, that Sopranos prequel, he was really good in that role. Ray Liotta? Really was. I thought he should have got a nomination, acting nomination. He was good, very good, and he played a dual role in it, and it was very good. Nice. Yeah. That's the, uh, um, I, well, I mean, my, my love for Ray Liotta comes from Field of Dreams. But yeah. uh, but I thought and, good, I, and Goodfellas, which um, a, a great movie as well. So, yeah, yeah. I uh, Paul Sorvino, I think is one. I think is pretty underrated as an actor, and I mean he's one of those character actors. He's, he was never he was never going to get top billing. He never had top billing in a film like James Caan and Ray Liotta did. So it's kind of hard. But uh, I, I I enjoyed I enjoyed his character acting. I thought it was I thought it was really. He was a lot of fun. So he brought a lot to, to films and TV shows that he did. So, all right. Well, that was our rapid fire, uh, this or that segment here. So let's uh, go into uh, one of our newer segments this year, which is um, um, brought to you by Asylum Cigars. Refuge is more than just a physical place. It can be a state of mind. Some of life's greatest reflection can be found in your own personal asylum. Moments like these were made for asylum cigars. So light up an asylum and choose your refuge. Now, Steve, this segment is, is, all, is all about, about the cigar in the moment. So what, what, I've, what I say in preference to this particular segment is that, you know, cigars are very very community driven, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of, you know, like you said, you, you spend time in, in shops and you, you like that. Um, you know, it's, it's very, it's very 
community oriented. People enjoy smoking together. Uh, but every so often, um, you know, we're, we're afforded a moment where it's just us and a cigar and it could be celebrating something. It could be listening to a good piece of music. It could be just simply silence, but um, we all probably have several of those moments, but it doesn't have to be your number one moment or anything, Steve, but what's a moment that comes to mind where it was just you and the cigar? What were, what was the moment about? And if you can remember, what was the cigar you were smoking? Dude, I've smoked like 110,000 cigars. <laughs> I know. 120,000 cigars just I mean, alone i know it was a, it's a tough order i don't, I don't even know i don't even know where to begin with that question i mean here's the thing for me what am i not smoking i mean it's almost it's almost impossible i mean how many cigars do you smoke a day on I'm average still, i kind of cut back i'm down to about eight a day right now you know i was pretty much at 10 a day for a long long time but I've kind of dialed back to eight um, seems to be about the number that I'm hitting now. Um, I just, uh, I'm finding, I'm finding that and part of it too is as I get busier, I don't have as much time, you know, so that, that makes it a little bit harder. I mean, I obviously have those crazy days where you spark 16 cigars and, and that doesn't count factory days and stuff like that or sampling days. Those are, you know, you might you might cut clip a hundred cigars on those days, but you're not smoking them. But I, I'd say I smoke pretty much about eight cigars a day right now. But particular individual moments, I don't know. I I don't even know where to begin did, did, with that. Do you, did you smoke anything special when uh, when your son got married? Just if I may ask. No, you know I haven't really ever. Okay, so like. Y2K, I had saved a pair of these kind of little perfectos that were a century old, right? Because I wanted to say I smoked a cigar that was 100 years old. And so I had uh, had a couple perfectos that were, I wasn't sure whether they were made in 1898 or 1899. So I ended up waiting to 2000 to be sure that they were at least 100 years old. So I kind of remember those. They tasted like nothing. They were completely just dead air, paper, sawdust. Um, but I mean, but for the most part, I don't tend to smoke special occasion, anything. Um, it's just whatever. And sometimes it's just, I'm lazy. So like I lit up another square. So I looked over here, what bundles I have sitting over here. And I like, let me grab one out of the bundle. And I didn't even care what it was. You know what I mean? So I'm, yeah, I'm every, every moment's a celebration with Steve, right? Yeah, or lack thereof, but yeah. <laughs> what about you? I know. I I think I, you asked me this question before, and I answered, but I'm gonna answer differently because I know I answered with the Red Rocks in Arizona was the first one. Mm -hmm. So this one, um, but there are others. I have moments like that. And it has to be when I'm by myself, correct? It, I can't be correct. with someone, correct? Okay, so I'm gonna say when I was in Cuba. Smoking on the Mal uh, on a high rise Airbnb on the Malcon was probably one of the most incredible things. I'm watching the sunrise. Uh, I'm in this I'm in this forbidden land, which is Cuba. Um, and I was really taking the moment in it. I, I, I kind of I can't remember what I was smoking, but I think it was less important what I was smoking. Like I had this moment um, that I was in Cuba and I'm, I'm a place I never thought I'd be. I may never get to go back there again. So I got to say smoking um, the Airbnb we had on, we had a high rise terrace smoking on there and watching the sunrise in Havana. 
Nice. Beautiful. Yep. You know, it's it, I've had a really blessed life when I think about it because I've smoked a lot of cigars in a lot of crazy great places. Yeah. Yeah, I have a bunch of them too. Like I, I you know, I can answer them. But yeah, there's some crazy. I, 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 you know, I always go for bucket list items where to smoke. And I think I've told you last year was the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, one year, one year was the Red Rocks Amphitheater, and now this year it's going to be downtown Minneapolis where Mary Tyler Moore throws the hat up. I said I want to smoke a cigar there, and I'm gonna, maybe ten degrees, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> so, well, what's one of the craziest places you smoke, Steve? If you could pick one mm. out of a hat. Crazy places that I've smoked. Again, what's crazy? Didn't you smoke one on a volcano once? Yeah, I've done that. I've smoked in the Grand Canyon. I've smoked. But again, if I've been there, I smoked there. Yeah. Right? So look, I was just in the Bernese Alps in Switzerland. Right? So I'm at the top top of a fucking mountain, for Christ's sakes, in the Alps. I'm smoking a cigar. You know, I... uh, Three years ago, Sydney and I rented a beautiful villa in St. John's with an unbelievable view. I mean, literally, like, I don't multi-million dollar view. And I just love sitting out there and staring at the azure water, you know, and doing absolutely nothing but smoking, you know. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I just, it's pretty much, you know, I mean, I, I love smoking when I'm fishing. I love smoking when, you know, I used to deer hunt. I used to love smoking that cigar in the deer stand. I know that seems counterintuitive that you would smoke a cigar in a deer stand, but my experience was that uh, it didn't really alert the deer. They were really keyed into cigarette smoke because they knew what it smelled like, but uh, cigar smoke, they weren't as sensitive to. They were actually sometimes curious about it because it was an aroma that they weren't used to. So they would actually kind of like follow the smoke in sometimes because it was a different scent that they just didn't equate with, with people where cigarettes are like almost completely taboo, you know? So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, again, it's kind of like, where haven't I smoked? If I've been there, I smoked there. Awesome. All right. Well, this is our last question of the evening. And as always, it's brought to you by Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. Fastballs or curveballs, it doesn't matter since the company's inception. Our guest tonight, Steve Sock, has been knocking him out of the park seven consecutive years in the consensus top three. Congratulations, Steve. What an accomplishment. Yeah, eventually, eventually that's going to go down, and then everybody will be right. No, it's going to be eight this year. Just relax. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, gentlemen, this is uh, going to be an interesting question to two of you because you're two different. Uh, probably is a little bit more uh relative to uh, to Steve, but um, I think it will be an interesting question nonetheless for both of you, okay? So we've seen uh, some interesting collaborations with some classic brands over the years. Uh, Pete Johnson pretty much kind of sort of kind of started it when he took on the Henry Clay and he had the Henry Clay tattoo, for example, on the stock cut. And then General's kind of launching this, this, this project under Justin Andrews, where they're, you know, Caldwell did Boulevard, you know, and uh, and the most recent one was Dion uh, from uh, Dion Giolito did uh, his version of what Ahoy de Monterey. Uh, so a collaboration of that with some classic brands. So what is a classic brand? And, you know, obviously this probably falls in either the Altidus or general portfolios, but maybe it doesn't. But what's a classic brand that you would love to take a crack at and put your own spin on it and it be... Uh, be a you know be a cigar with your own your own spin on. 
See, I don't tend to like these programs, right? I've always been very vocal about it. So, because look, you put so much effort into a brand that why do I want to help make somebody else's brand better? So I tend to not want to do that. Um, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. But I will admit, I would like to take a crack at Liga Pravada. I would, I would like to redo a Liga Pravada blend. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that, that, would, that would be one that I would like to do. It, it, it isn't in their best interest to let me do it. Um, so I wouldn't let me do it. Um, but, but yeah, that, that, that's one that I would like to, to take a crack at. Isn't that your blend though? Yeah. Look, my blend, Nicholas's blend. Look, it was obviously a brand I created and I was instrumental in. Um, but yeah, you know, thinking about the fact that what did the original in 97, here we are in 2022. I mean, you're going to be coming up for what, 2007, it's 17, 2027 be the 20th anniversary, but the, it'll never, ever happen. I mean, look, I'd love to do a Ramon Iones, a Boulevard, because they've always, I don't know how Caldwell's Boulevard did, but almost always these brand reprisals tend to fail. You know, Ramon Iones in particular, which is sad for me because it was always one of my favorite Habanos brands. And I'd love to see something like that. You know, I'd love to be involved in the recreation of a, a Davidoff Dom Perignon. Um, but that'll that'll never come to fruition either. Um, and look, I don't tend to angle for these projects. I mean, one of the things that I'm really bad at is networking. I don't really, I don't tend to do, oh, my light's about to die. So I'm going to flip on another light pretty soon here. You saw it blinking there in the background. But I don't tend to... Uh, I don't tend to angle my way into these projects because I don't tend to have those kind of discussions because I think everybody knows what my viewpoint is on these type of collaborative projects. I always feel like they're just being done for the, for the cash in. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Liga, Liga, Liga would be the one. I did not see that coming. A couple of people in the chat said they did. I did not see that coming. I didn't either. I'll tell you my answer after Coop answers what I thought, what I thought was going to be your answers for both of these questions. So Coop, what's yours? So just how I'm answering, is this like a wish list for me? Sure. Yeah. It's, it's really easy. If Raphael or Justin came to you tomorrow and said, it's top, like I said, it doesn't have to be. I mean, uh, Steve went outside of that. I mean, Steve went to Drew Estate. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it could be anything. It's your, your the questions. It kind of almost happened already, but it didn't. Okay. But I would take the oldest factory in Nicaragua, Hoya de Nicaragua, and I take the oldest factory in La Aurora, and I'd say put it together and do something. Just kind of now, it kind of already happened a little bit with Jose Blanco going over there, but I don't think it was a I don't think it was a, a collaboratory type of thing, where I'd want to see tobaccos from both. I'd want to see a blend coming out of each of that. Uh, just because there's so much history with that, I think it would be very interesting to see how that would work. There would be two separate blends, or yeah, uh, I think you'd have to. Do, I think the way to do this is you have to do what Padron and Fuente did each each blends for the other. Got it. 
Yeah, each blend with nice. the other ones in there. Um, because and I, and what I would say is I want it to be a hands-on experience, you know, not a uh, send blends over to each factory. So, and that's maybe a taller wish list item to have. Um, you know, where you know the Hoya folks go over to La Aurora and vice versa, type of thing. So, be cool. um, yeah, I think it would be pretty. I, I, again, I kind of go back because I think, uh, you know, it's tough to top right now. We haven't seen what Fuente Padron is going to be, but that's a tough one to top. So, I kind of have to go a little out of the box with this one. And, and I think I would just go with the history of both of those factories and, and see what happens. If I, awesome. yeah, so yeah. How my head is like, even if like the Fuente Padron are exceptional, can they even can they even hit the hype hurdle? I, the, my issue with that is I don't know how much of those cigars are going to be available. And I think it's I think if you're going to no, do no, this, you got to make it's got to be an available cigar. I mean, right now the numbers that they were talking about were so absurdly small. I mean, right. you heard then essentially it's. It's going to be kind of like getting a rare Patek Philippe watch. You know what I mean? You'll never see one. Well, like the retailers will probably you know, keep the box. You'll see some coverage yeah. in the media about it, but you'll never actually even, much less not be able to buy one and smoke right. one. You will never physically see one. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I'm looking for something where it's got some sustainability going down the road, uh, where it's something that folks can get their hands on. It doesn't have to, I'm not worried about it limited tobacco. But like I said, my fear with the Padron Fuente thing is they're going to distribute it to the retailers and we'll, it will never hit the shelves. I mean, it was just either it will be so, retail will keep it or they'll sell it to some customers behind the scenes. Um, or it'll be, they'll do some things maybe like what Jeff but does. Think about it from a retailer's perspective. If you have a, if you have a whale, that's a huge Padron guy, or you have a whale, that's a huge Fuente guy. Mm-hmm. You have to give it to that customer, right? You have to give it to them. I totally understand. And it. If, I they're, mean, if, they're, if they're spending five figures a year with you sure. already on something, there's no way that that right. retailer could ever put it on the show. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, I would want it to be something that's a, 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 a brand that's ongoing and available. Yeah, I um, I don't know why I thought this when I asked this question, I thought I thought Coop would say uh, Romeo and Julieta and I thought Steve would say La Gloria Cubana. I have no hmm. idea why. Look, La Gloria Cubana would be good. I mean, look, it was one of the brands that I fell in love with very early on. I remember you saying that, and that's why I had it in the back of my head. It was one of my original things. Um, but again, the brand's been so uh, passed around. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, that Lagoria has been a hot potato. I mean, it's just kind of like it doesn't have. And that's that's the way I feel about it. Like I said, I'd love to be able to do a Ramoneones, but what do you do with that? It's been so tried so many times by so many different people and it's never, ever been successful. How do you how do you how do you overcome that? I mean, it's just there's no way at all. And I mean, so I, I think. I think I think most people are really super protective of their brands and it's in their best interest to be that way. You know, until you get to a certain point where a brand becomes ubiquitous. Right. And when you look at a brand like Bolivar, uh, they've never managed to do anything with Bolivar in that portfolio as far as the U.S. goes. I mean, Bolivars have been made forever. It's all the way back to, you know, the Frank and Asa days. Making them at the uh, making them at the Villazon factory. So there's been so many different iterations and partnerships on that brand. 
it's kind of crazy. The other thing too, is I always think about the commercial aspect of things. And so seldom are these brand things really successful in the long term. I mean, yeah, you have brand, you know, whatever, such and such made by such and such, but it's really more just a, hey, we're now getting it made by this factory. We want to benefit from the name of this maker who's well-known. This is his spin on it. This becomes a selling. You know what I mean? It's not not the same as a real collaboration per se. Right. And, and then there, just to kind of counter the answer a bit, like I'd want this cigar to be, have a shot at CA's number one cigar of the year. And you know my theory that the non-Cuban brands, I don't think will ever get a number one cigar of the year from that publication, as long as there's a Cuban counterpart. I, I firmly believe that will never happen. Hmm. It hasn't. Yeah, you're right. Never has. Yeah, I, do, I believe that there is a, I believe that would be a big relationship issue they'd have to deal with if that happened. So I don't think it will happen in my lifetime. So I'd want it to be a new brand as something that I can, you know, not have an issue like that with it. As much as there's a romanticism with some of the stuff you talked about there, it's nice. But again, I'd want it to be that cigar that can get the highest honor. Did we lose Bear? I don't know what he's doing. I don't have. Yeah, oh, sorry. he's back. So no, there's some, some, sorry, so there's some, something wrong with my cord. I was also about to lose my light too. So okay. So no worries. But um, Coop just wanted to uh, just uh, as we kind of wrap up the show and everything. What uh, what do you guys have on your individual calendars and what's coming up for y'all, uh, Steve? We know the holiday sampler is going to be. Uh, hitting retailers shall, oh, soon. Are you? Do you have yeah, any other special events? Now. Okay. Um, I don't have a lot of events coming up. I have uh, I have the Heritage Cigar Festival in the first week of December, and then I have uh, and I have the weekend after that. I have the annual Christmas party at Rockies, and then I also have obviously Puro Sabor and TPE and the Great Smoke and um, but I haven't uh, I've not been scheduling a lot of events personally. Um, I've been trying to cut cut way, way back because it's just the travel schedule has been so chaotic with work. There hasn't been much time to do events and the travel to and from every place has become so increasingly difficult. Actually, 2022 has been a more difficult travel year for going to Nicaragua than 2021 was. It's, it's actually become more, it's become more challenging this year. And the part is just, people are now traveling again and there's just not enough capacity. So it's making the trips to Mexico and, you know, Honduras and Nicaragua. And, you know, it's just been, it's been a, been a really, really tough travel year this year. And I have to assume that next year isn't going to improve. So I'm trying to leave my calendar a little bit more open um, because I can't, I can't keep this pace up. I mean, I have to, at some point I do actually have to like, not eat fast food, maybe walk a little bit and sleep <laughs> occasionally. And uh, so I'm trying, I'm trying to be more, uh, I'm trying to be more, I'm trying to be better about it, you know, because, uh, you know, whereas I was like in a total sprint, I, I'm now, I'm now in the grind phase. I'm, 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 I'm in that mile 13 right now, that marathon. And I, and I need to, I need to, I need to figure out a way to pace myself before I totally burn out. Well, I remember when I initially asked you to be on the show, you said that you might actually be in, in, in Nika f- uh, for it. 
Uh, did that does that go to some of the problems you've had where you were not able to get yeah, down, or was it just fight again? Jeez. Yeah. It's, it's, look, it's been a it's been a problematic travel year. I think anybody that's anybody that travels a lot, this has been a really really separate of the fact that it's like stupid expensive. I mean, this has by far been the most costly year to travel, but it's also been the one with the most delays, the most cancellations. Um, the lack of flights going to and fro. It's it's been a it's been a, it's been a tough tough year travel wise. And when so much of our job requires so much travel, it just really it just it makes it, it makes it really a lot of non fun. <laughs> it really does. And uh, and the thing is, you know, uh, you know, as I start to do more of these big events. I have to, they kind of cut into the availability of doing other things, you know? So, I mean, look, I think next year I'm going to do another uh, Red Meat Lovers event on the battleship. I really enjoyed the dinner on the deck of the battleship. I think it's a really novel concept. So I imagine that I will do that again this year. Um, but part of that's going to depend on Evan with Red Meat Lovers. Um, I, I so owe Jeff at Corona an event it's like i've owed him an event for like three years that i haven't done one i have to find a way to to make that happen it has to be a priority this year um you know so i have i have about i have about six or seven things that i've never done or i haven't done recently that some way i have to figure out how to squeeze it into 2023 but the problem i have is just when i look at my schedule not a lot of open days on it in 2023. It's really amazing how filled in the schedule gets. I mean, it's it's really surprising. Well, thank you for uh, making some time tonight for uh, in in that most that busy schedule. Sit with me to sit with me and Coop. Appreciate it. Coop. Yeah, it's coming up on the shows. Okay, Thursday night, uh, primetime episode 248. Mickey Peg is our special guest. So, uh, and it, it's not on a world series night, which is good. So, um, <laughs> because, you know, I postponed this week's, uh, round table show. Uh, we postponed the round table to next week, um, where we will be smoking, uh, the Aventura. Um, I forget which Aventura we're smoking. La Rona. La Rona. Yes. La Rona. So we'll have that next uh, week from Wednesday. And then a week from Tuesday, um, Bear and I, it's been a tradition for the last few years, and we we keep the politics at the door, but we have done a cigar election night return show. Um, and, and the fact that we survived the presidential election, Bear, without any political fueling or anything was great. It, we just simply go through the res election results, smoke mm -hmm. some cigars, and uh, we just kind of report it more from a scoreboard perspective and i for, and everyone's behaved on that show too because you know how nervous i was about doing that yeah that one so so we'll be doing the midterm election show on tuesday night so if you don't want to tune into uh your network uh tune into us and we'll be smoking and having a good time that night sounds it'll be a fun time yep yep we made it out of the presidential election which uh, we made it out of presidential which i was you know i was i wanted i almost wanted to cancel it at one point so and we did it last year even after january 6th so we made it through mm -hmm. that one as well, mm -hmm. uh, but we won't we won't have we won't have a Bobby Valentine one this year. So yeah, darn shame. Yeah, Damn. No, so yeah, yeah that was. Or or, or, or the, was the guy uh, the guy who won the New York mayor's race and the other guy like, had no votes almost. <laughs> we were going, 
So they're fun shows and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Be a good time. Yep. So, uh, Again, gentlemen, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Uh, you know, my birthday episode, I, much to your chagrin, Steve, I know it's uh, I know it's not your favorite thing in the world, but uh, I know that you mm. still, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm, I still contest you still like me, which is nice. So I get to have you on, but I really appreciate it. Is, everybody has a birthday every year, right? There's how many right? people on the planet. So how special can birthdays really be? <laughs> well, but, but. Well, yeah, but not everyone gets to, to hang out with you on their birthday. So yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, I'm 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 pretty damn special. I think, I think it's a peg down. I think you can find better ways to spend your birthday than talking on talking to me. <laughs> I, I I was I was hoping you'd bring the the birthday hat. You talked about it a little bit. I was I was wondering if you would actually do it. Um, but uh, it it's been a it's been an awesome uh, show, awesome time talking to both you gentlemen, um, Steve. Thank you so much for your time, especially like you said with the busy schedule that you've had. Uh, unbelievable to to sit down with you. We've got some great shows coming up. Uh, is Coop will actually be back here in a couple of weeks. We'll be celebrating another celebration. It'll be five years of El Oso Fumar takes. Our fifth anniversary show is coming up here in a couple of weeks. Next week, we have Rainier Lorenzo of HVC. You definitely want to check that out. Uh, and then we'll also be commemorating the 20th anniversary of Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, uh, in the later in November. Uh, we've got uh, our couple of uh, residential nerds in the cigar uh, industry. We've got uh, um, Trip Waldrop will be returning. To all oh. our takes after a long absence. Matt Ty of How About That Cigar and Sam Spencer, formerly of McAuliffe Cigars, will be on that episode. So that'll be fun. That could be a six hour show. Yeah, it'll be longer than the movie. Yeah, we have, we have, <laughs> trip, we have trip, I think, holds the record, actually. Yeah, That's why. yeah, Trip does hold the record for the longest yeah, show. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, we'll also be having Sin Coburn of, of Dissident Cigar later. I was, I was going to ask you when she was going to be on because yeah. I knew, you know, obviously. Yeah, I had the number yeah. one cigar last year. So she, yep, we, yep. We, so I was wondering about that. Yeah. We're bringing her on. She'll be in Nicaragua. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll be testing the internet strength down there here in a few weeks as well. So uh, test it beforehand with anything with Nicaragua. I'll tell you that. Definitely. Yeah. You, you remember the problem we had. So, yeah. Yeah. So some good shows coming up and some great so things to celebrate and, uh, we'll do this again next year. And, uh, hopefully, uh, uh, Steve will forget to try and schedule a trip around it and he'll be available again. So <laughs> we'll bring him back. Well, at least I know what day it is now. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much again, gentlemen. Thank you so much to our audience for staying up late with us. We had a fantastic run. Great uh, comments and, and uh, shares as always. Keep those coming. If you are tuning this? in. If, if we do this again next year, why don't I get to be the interviewer? I get to ask the questions. We can have that conversation. I think that would be a fun exercise. So... Yeah. I think that I think I think we could uh, I think we could honestly entertain that, Steve. If that's what it takes to get you back on, I think we can have that conversation. I, I like that idea of a show. That's never happened, has it? There we go. Yeah, and you're always the one to challenge me, Steve. So I hope yeah. I hope the cigar somewhat got up to your standards. Yeah. As always, for everyone out there who is uh, who's listening to us on podcast, whether it be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, or iHeartRadio, don't forget to hit the subscribe button, download, review, all that jazz. If you already are a subscriber, hit unsubscribe. But don't forget to hit resubscribe. That allows me to continue getting great numbers so that I can have Steve back when I want him to, uh, or sometimes when I want him to. Um, you think I care about the numbers? I don't care. 
Hit the subscribe button on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel as well, but always hit the like button on Facebook. That's where our calendar of upcoming events are. That's where you can see us every Sunday night when we broadcast this live show at 930 Central, 1030 Eastern on the LLS Fumar page on Facebook. For everyone out there, I'm Bear Duplicity, live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azel, Texas. He's Steve Saka, and he's William Cigar Coop Cooper. Guess what, everybody? We'll see you next time. <laughs>